Okay, so this is our weekly Bible study for um, Sunday. It's December 31st on New Year's Eve, 2006, and I got a ton of stuff to cover tonight. Uh, this may end up going longer than normal. Um, of course, it's been going pretty long lately, as it is. Uh, I'm going to continue what we were talking about last week in regard to uh, uh, the whole alien phenomenon and uh, our government's involvement in that whole scenario. But first, I'm going to go over an email that I got this morning. I had put out an uh, email recently on the... Uh, it was entitled, Tu Cornuto, which is the sign, the, the devil sign that, that, the, uh, that you can make with your hands. Uh, it's also called El Diablo, the devil's horns, diabolicus, or hook'em horns. It's also a sign for, um, there's three versions of it, but the one sign in sign language is for I love you. So, I got a uh, kind of a rebuke here from someone that had uh, emailed me. And it wasn't from, this one person was somebody on my email list that had forwarded this to another person, the minister. And the rebuke didn't come from the, from the person on my email list, it came from the person that read it. And so, this is what it was entitled. It says, uh, Scott, this is a response I received after sending out the email you sent me. If this is correct, then the info you're sending out is false. How sure are you of the correctness of the info you send out? So, anyway, I got that. And then, then this letter came. Now, I don't know who wrote this. This is from somebody different than this person. Um, it, which, which really is unbelievable, because I already addressed much of this in the email. Um, you're going to see there's a part about Helen Keller, but the other, the other was thoroughly addressed about the Hook'em Horn sign. So, it's amazing how somebody typically uh, will get something, maybe trying to halfway rebut what I'm saying. There's nothing in here, there's no documentation whatsoever in this email. What I'm going to read you is what you get, what you hear. It's, that's, a, that's all they gave me. There's not one reference, not one piece of documentation, nothing, no proof. I gave in this original email picture after picture after picture, proof after proof. But that's all forgotten. You know, it just it gets a little bit irritating after a while. Um, so, I mean, just put yourself in my shoes, that type of thing. So, I, I got this, and I don't know who wrote this, but it says, It is embarrassing, that's how he starts this out, to read falsities claimed as elite as truth by a, quote, leader in the Christian community. Evidently, that's how this man portrayed me, as a leader in the Christian community. Please get your facts right. Where did you get the idea Helen Keller invented sign language Quote, we discover that the person who invented or created the hand sign system for the deaf, Helen Keller, was herself an occultist and a theosophist. This is a quote that came out of the email. Sign language was around long before she was born. She was taught the finger spelling by Ann Sullivan. The sign for I love you is the finger spelling I-L-Y, the first letter of each word with a thumb extended for the Y and the L not tucked in. It's a common practice in any sign language. Now, I'm going to read this before I respond, okay? Because I'm, I'm not going to go back and forth at, with everything. Sign language for the deaf was first systematized in France during the 18th century by Abbot Charles Michael L.P. French sign language was brought to the United States in 1816 by Thomas Galdet, founder of the American School of the Deaf in Hartford. He developed American Sign Language, a language of gestures and hand symbols that express words and concepts. As for her being an occultist, someone who worships Satan, Again, please do your research before you go slandering someone. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
Because someone doesn't believe the exact same way as you do doesn't make her a cult. Oh, it doesn't? Well, hold on now. I thought that anything that, that differentiates or deviates from the truth of the gospel of Christ is a cult. Now, what does the word occult mean? It means hidden. That's what the word occult means, hidden. This is where we get the word Gnosticism for the Gnostics. Well, what did they believe? The word Gnostic means hidden knowledge, okay? And basically, every other religious system on the face of the planet is Gnostic in origin. Because they all have hidden knowledge that you have to keep going in and going in and going in to keep attaining. Name me one that's not like that. They're all set up the same way. Only Bible-believing Christianity, where we believe in this Bible, the Bible says that the Word of God is not of any private interpretation. So, this isn't hidden. Now, there is, it's hidden from the standpoint, we just quoted this earlier, the light of the glorious gospel, that, that the prince of this world has blinded their minds, that the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon them. Okay, so now, yes, the devil is capable of blinding and deceiving, but that's the devil doing that. The word of God stands on its own, okay? It's not something that's hidden, it's not something that, that, that only a, a privileged few can understand. Whosoever thou wilt can come. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. It's his will that not one would perish. He's not here to try to trick us. So, um, he says that because someone doesn't believe the exact same way you, doesn't make them a cult. Who made you her judge? After 1961, Helen Keller lived quietly at Arcane Ridge. She saw her family, close friends, and associates from the American Foundation for the Blind and the favorite foundation for the overseas blind and spent much of her time reading. Her favorite books were the Bible and the volumes of poetry and philosophy. Oh, it was. How do I know that this man's truth? How do I know anything he said to me is one bit of truth? There's no references here. There's not one thing. He's just given me... Sounds pretty impressive so far. But we're going to see. We're going to see real soon. And I was, and I read this and I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to have to recant this. Maybe, maybe I was wrong. No, I wasn't. Well, right. I mean, the philosophy. F philosophy is always anti-biblical. I mean, either you are a Christian or you're not. And you cannot be a Christian who also espouses in Carl Jung and, and these other philosophers. Um, they're absolutely diametrically opposed to the God of the Bible. Totally. The only poetry that's, that's biblical is that that's really in the Bible. I mean, I'm not saying a Christian couldn't write a poem, but I mean, most poetry is not Christian. Is that the point I'm trying to make? Um, so, it, then he says the ASL sign for the devil is the index, or whatever the ASL means, I have no clue what that means, he didn't give me any clue on what that meant. ASL sign for the devil is the index and the middle finger bent, not the thumb and pinky, as in the quotation marks gesture. So it's like, it's like this. This is the sign of the devil, guys. Didn't you know that? With the thumb touching the, the quotation marks with the thumb touching the temple, the temple, you're, I don't know what this means. Bend and unbend the finger several times. That's the sign of the devil. This is the one right here. Oh, oh, it's like this. Oh, sorry. I, I never knew that. Boy, where's his documentation on that? I don't see any. Not one bit. Nothing. Yet he accuses me of not getting the facts right and these types of things. That's what amazes me. Somebody will just, this is his opinion. 
This is his misguided opinion, essentially, is what he's given me here so far. Not a shred of documentation, totally misguided. I'm gonna, I mean, you're going to see this is going to be refuted here real quick. Then there was a lot of things in this email about the Cornuto sign and President Bush. Okay? President Bush like this. Oh, oh, he's a hook'em horns fan. He's a Texas Longhorn fan. It's the same sign for the Texas Longhorns. I'm sorry that the Texas Longhorns have a sign that's absolutely, totally satanic as their sign. I sure wouldn't send my kid there. When you got 100,000 people making the sign of the devil, you know what's funny? A lot of people that aren't Texas Longhorn fans make the same sign. Like Anton LaVey on the back of the Satanic Bible, 1966. On May 1st, he started the Satanic Church, the first church of Satan in San Francisco. You look at the back of the Satanic Bible that he wrote. He's right on the back cover making the Cornudo sign. Oh, but I guess that means he's just a Texas Longhorns fan. It's kind of funny, there's all these other people out there that are, that are politicians and, and movers and shakers, Clinton, a lot of these people that are high in religion, and they're all making this Cornudo sign. Huh, Pat Robinson, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, I guess they're all Texas Longhorns fans. So see, the thing is, is that argument unravels so quickly because you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. And they say, well, this means I love you, and the sign, I'm... That's what it means in sign language. That doesn't mean it's not a variation of that Cornuto sign. There's three ways you can make the Cornuto sign. This way, this way, and this way. That's the deal. This thing I've never even seen. Now, I'm not saying this sign that he described is not satanic. I'm not saying that. But you know something? There is a ton of hand signs that are satanic. The peace sign is satanic. That's, a, that's another very, very, very bad thing. <coughs> um... Every sign that you could conceive that you make with your hands is basically satanic, just about. This one, the Boy Scout sign, that's another one. You know, it's, it's the longbow of Nimrod. I mean, you can go on and on and on. In fact, Kathy Burns wrote a whole book on satanic hand signals and satanic signs, like the, the peace sign, which is what they call the crow's foot, the swastika. I mean, you could go on and on and on. All these signs that we perceive as good signs are actually evil. So... Him being Mr. Definitive here telling me this is the sign of the devil, when there's, I mean, there's a number of ways, there's a number of signs, and there's, there's hundreds of them that are essentially satanic. Now, the Bible talks about it, it says, Woe unto them that speak with their fingers and talk with their feet. It's in Proverbs. I don't know exactly where the verse is right now, but I know it's in the Bible. Um, well, who, they speak with their fingers and they talk with their feet? Well, I've seen many, many times these TV evangelists get up there and, and, and they go like this and... and and now this is a way to evoke a, invoke a curse when you do that. Do you know that if you're a 33rd degree Mason or, or, or a Mason of the 2nd or 3rd degree, if you go and stand before a Masonic judge in the right way, he will not rule against you? You stand like this. Why is that? Because that is the sign of the, I believe this is the sign of the 3rd uh, the degree. You, you would stand before him just like this. Or you could stand b before him just like this. That's the sign of like the 2nd degree. You stand before a judge that way, he won't rule against you because he's taken oaths that supersede God, country, wife, everything, his family. That's why the Bible says, Woe unto them that speak with their hands and talk with their feet. It's in the Bible. I guess that's why this gets me so fired up because you know something? To have somebody come at me on about this is incomprehensible to me. It really is. Have we gotten so bad so far and so sanctimonious that we think that we've got it all figured out? And then now he's going to go in and convince me how Bush is a godly man evidently. Bush, after, after this, his many Norwegians, um, 
after this, many Norwegians believe Bush was a Satanist as the sign was misinterpreted. Oh, so Bush making that Satanic Cornudo sign, that's just all been misinterpreted. In Norway, this is the sign of Satan. Oh, it's only in Norway. I get Norway's got a got a corner in the market with a Cornudo sign. Every place else it means I love you. Um often and in Norway, this is the sign of Satan, often used by heavy metal bands. Well, you know something that's used by heavy metal bands all over the world. Norway doesn't have a, a corner on the market with the, for the Cornudo satanic sign. For Texans, the gesture is known as the sign of love for the University of Texas. Longhorns, whose fans are known to shout hook'em horns, horns, at sporting events. Like hook'em horns, like they're, they're, it's like... See, the University of Texas, if you look at their helmet, is, is the symbol. It's a big steer, and he's got horns. So this means it looks like a steer. Doesn't matter. It's satanic. I don't care. It's still wrong. Bush, a four... Now, do you think Satan cares how he deceives you as long as he's deceiving you? He don't care. And it's as though, well, my intention is such that it's not that. Okay, well, then maybe you'll be one of the few that are punished with few stripes when you stand before and you're allotted your portion with the hypocrites. Because the Bible says in that parable, it says that that, that is that it talks about the um, the watchman that's sleeping and, and that when Jesus comes back, he's beating his men servants and maid servants and he's and he's being slothful and he's getting drunk. That servant will be beat with many stripes because he knew. Well what about the one that didn't know and, and, and he really wasn't doing it intentionally? Well that one's still going to be beat, but he'll be beat with few stripes. They'll still be they'll still both be beat. So it says, uh, Bush, a former Texas governor, and his family made the sign to greet the Longhorn marching band as they passed, made the sign. It's almost as though they created it. That's a lie, too. The Longhorn marching band, as it passed during the inaugural parade through the Washington during Thursday's festi festivities, um, explain Norway's largest newspaper. Just because someone misuses the sign doesn't mean we have to fear it or launch a campaign against it. There are larger issues in the world today that need our focus. Oh, is there? Many of these people may be, may be demonic. Some of these people may be demonic. Others may not. But to blanket accuse everyone is incredibly unchristlike. I'm not blanketly accusing anybody. I'm saying there's probably some that are doing it unknowingly. Does that mean I should just sit back and say, Oh, I wouldn't want to offend them. Um, oh boy, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What about the Bible where it says about reproving the works of darkness and marking them that which cause defenses, division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned? And about the admonishments where we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then in, in the end times, knowledge would increase and many would run to and fro. But most of that knowledge is going to be deceptive knowledge. What about those things? Oh, I guess we're not supposed to do that because that's unchristlike. Well, you know something? Christ... Um, by the way he would portray it, must have acted unchristlike a lot of times. But this isn't the same Christ I'm in reference to. He's in reference to a different Christ. Because the Christ that I'm in reference to rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees. There was no... He called them devils and vipers, essentially. And those were the religious people that he called that. He didn't call the prostitutes and the tax collectors devils and vipers. Do you know that? He didn't. He only called the religious people. What was something else he called them? White and sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Oh, okay, like a tomb whitewashed and nice on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. Huh. Hypocrites. Yeah, hypocrites. Oh, but, but I'm going to be called... Oh, judge not lest ye be judged. What is the context of that verse? 
ye hypocrites. That is the context of judge not lest ye be judged. The Bible also says, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. Well, if we're spiritual, then we should be judging all things. Let me ask you a question. Can you spend one day of your life just meandering about in life and not judge constantly? You know something? I'm just going to run right through that stoplight. I don't care if it's red or green. I'm, I'm going to floor it. You're dead. You have to constantly judge. Okay? Oh, well, you know, they'll say this or that. I'm sorry, the Bible's very, very, very clear on this, that in the end times, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that's the time we're living in. The time to be on the lookout for evil men and seducers. And the time to be not deceived, as Jesus said. The time when the wolves in sheep's clothing will come. The time when Satan, which can transform himself, if Satan can be transform himself into an angel of light. It's no marvel if his ministers can transform themselves into angels of light. It's also the time when the wolves will come in sheep's clothing. So, I don't want to hear this from this guy. I really don't. I'm not the one that needs rebuked. He needs rebuked. Don't think I'm passionate about this or anything. I mean, you know. I, I, I You know, when I got this email, I set everything aside. I said, every, everything's on hold now. Everything, I had ten, ten other things I could have done today, except deal with this. I probably spent two to three hours answering this email. Now, you're not even going to hear everything I got in there because I don't want to take up the whole night because I, I could literally take up the whole night on this. You know, I get more dogmatic about this as time goes by. I'm not getting more past, I'm getting worse. I am, I, I believe it, I'm getting worse because I feel as though that Christ is going to shake everything that can be shaken, and he's going to separate the hot from the cold, and this lukewarm crap is not going to cut it. And and when I see this, it makes me want to get hot. Hot. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Um, Hymaeus and Demas have forsaken me for this present world. Oh, well that's not nice to say. I don't care. It worked for Jesus. It worked for Paul. They marked them. The problem is, is it's not happening in today's day and age. Oh, we want to be a one be unchristlike. Who? What's your definition of unchrist? His his definition of unchristlike and mine are two totally different things. And I believe I'm getting mine from the Bible. We have to have a balance here. I'm not telling everybody to go around and judge and condemn and point the finger and act sanctimonious. And listen, you know what I deserve? I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. Okay, so I would really like to get that straight right now. I deserve hell. When, you know what I can relate to most in the Bible? Romans 7, where it says, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am! Who will deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I want to do, that I don't do. And the things I do do, that I, I shouldn't do. I mean, I can relate to that. I really can. Not saying I'm going around living in abject sin either. It's just that I can relate to those verses. So I'm not coming at this from some kind of satanic... or satanic, sanctimonious, I'm better than him, I'm smarter than him, I'm Mr. Smarty Pants. No, I'm not, okay? I would humble myself before God, and if it were possible, I would take God's side against myself, because I believe what God has given to me in the form of salvation, in the form of grace, in the form of a reprieve, I should have been burning in hell a long time ago. So, that's where I'm coming at this from. I'm not doing this because I want to make sure I'm, I beat this man. Or, or that, or that I, or that I win this theological argument with him. I could care less about that. So it says this kind of actions make these are the kind of actions that make Christianity irrelevant. Evidently, what I am doing here. 
We need a pro-kingdom stance. Pro-kingdom? What is that? Is that, is that ushering in the kingdom? Is, is that gonna, are we gonna bring in the kingdom? Because that would be pretty much a dominionist, pretty much current event, apostate view. We're gonna, you know what? There's not gonna be any tribulation. We're just gonna bring in the kingdom. No seven years. No way. We're just gonna go straight into the millennium. And we're gonna rule and reign with Christ. And we're not gonna die or nothing. You know, that's a very common view right now. Very, very common. It says, we need a pro-kingdom stance, not any, any anti-anything. No, no, not an anti-anything that looks demonic attack at stance. Oh, is that so? I guess we're not supposed to reprove the works of darkness then. I'm really glad he set me straight. You know what I like about this email he sent me? Well, I think there's like one verse that he quotes. I think there's like one verse. Maybe. About half of a verse. He doesn't even tell you where it's at in the Bible. If you notice, when I respond to somebody, I typically don't do it that way. I usually load their boat with scripture. Because I'm trying to stay away from my opinion. So, according to him, we need a not... Here's, here's the stance we need to have. A, or, or, this is the stance we don't need to have. A not an anti-anything that looks demonic attack at stance. Hmm. That is what Jesus did. Oh, so he didn't attack that which was demonic. He didn't expose and reprove and rebuke that which was demonic. No, he never did that. He only did it to the religious leaders, basically every time he ever got around them. He didn't do it to the tax collectors and the prostitutes because they knew they were that. They knew they were. They came to him humbly. Where's the, I mean, if you come to Jesus humbly, he, he doesn't have to really rebuke you. Think about it. If you're already humbled, the, you have to get humbled before you can receive Jesus as your Savior. Nobody's going to convince many different. You cannot come to Jesus proud and say, well, I'm going to get saved on my terms, on my time. You ain't going to get saved. Period. So how do we have to come before Jesus? Well, the Bible says, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's how we have to come. As a little child, we have to humble ourselves. Okay? Fear of God, humility, that's how we have to go. If you're already humbled, why does he have to continually rebuke you over and over? Well, that's why he didn't do that to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But he had to, to the religious Pharisees and Sadducees, because they were not humble. They were white and sepulchers full of dead man's bones and vipers. So, he had to take a totally different approach with them. Did it do any good? No. No, it didn't do any good, but at least he exposed them, he reproved them, he rebuked them. I would say he was judging them, don't you think? Well, he was. But this man saying that Jesus was a pro-kingdom, he had just had a pro-kingdom, and that he didn't, he didn't expose anything that looked demonic or attacking. That's what he says. What spirit is behind this man writing this email? <laughs> I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm sorry. This is what we're dealing with here. This is, this is just... I, I read this. I couldn't even believe what I was reading. Then, this is the last paragraph. So then, are you selling a book that has secret information? Selling a book. Do you know how long I've been doing this up on the internet? Um, putting out these Christian emails? Probably since 98, 97, around there. I've never got a dime. Not one dime for this. For what I do. There are some health products that I have on my health newsletter that I do promote. This is a separate issue. I've been doing this for years. You know what I've got from this? Ostracized. 
There's people that won't come around me with a 10-foot pole. I have walked away from thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because of the dogmatic stance I have taken in regard to Christian issues. It has not benefited me financially, let me tell you that right now. I could be a very rich man right now, and I'm not. And I praise God that if I had to give that up in order to put out truth, in order not to compromise, well then praise God. I'm not regretting it, but of all things to accuse me of, this, I, I was like, secret information. So, he's accusing me of putting out occult information, because occult information is hidden, hidden, secret. Sounds like you are just as bad as the ones you're accusing, with an exclamation mark. I do not agree with you that all these people are giving sa this satanic sign, but are saying love ya as most have their thumb out for the sign language gesture. What does that mean? I do not agree with you that all these people are giving a satanic sign, but are saying love ya as... He didn't even write coherently at all. Are you causing others to focus more on Satan or Jesus? Oh, me. We, you know, we just want to focus on Jesus. They're Jesus. Okay. The Bible says that if you come and worship Jesus, you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Can we have one without the other? Well, let's just be, you know, it was like that time I was speaking at that Christian conference and I, I talked about Hosea 4.6 and this guy got up there and rebuked me and said, Oh, Brother Johnson, you know, you're just so basically off base here. Hosea 4.6 doesn't apply to anything other than salvation. That's it. You're destroyed for lack of not, You're destroyed for the lack of not knowing Jesus Christ. Well, if I could have went up there and if I could have addressed that issue, I would have asked him one question. If somebody gives you a poison glass of orange juice, and you drink it, and you did not know it was poison, and you die, were you not just destroyed for lack of knowledge? Yeah, you were. You were. Well, that kind of blows that argument out of the water. That it's just... Now, granted, not knowing about the salvation of Jesus, not knowing about the gospel of Christ, is the ultimate in being destroyed for lack of knowledge, because ultimately you're going to burn the lake of fire for eternity. But there is other ways you can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, you could walk into a room and there could be a trap door in there that that that, that puts you into a vat of boiling oil and you fall into it and die. And you didn't know it was there. Well, you're destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, um, he goes on to say, Are you causing others to focus more on Satan or Jesus? Ugh. Uh, are you witch hunting? Instilling fear in others. <laughs> are you witch hunting? Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrines you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. It says to mark them. It says to mark them. It also says to improve the unfruitful uh, the uh, works of darkness. To reprove them. Um, instilling fear in others, do you need an enemy to rally against? Yeah, that's my motivation. I just need an enemy to rally against. I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish there was another, I wish there was more ministries that were picking up the ball and doing this, but they're not. They're not doing it. Somebody's got to do it. And you know something? I'm willing to die for this. I've told this to you before, but, but I mean, if I end up having to give my life to put out truth, and I stand before God, and I fulfill Ezekiel 3 and 33, where I was a watchman on the wall, and I saw the, the plague that was coming, I saw it was coming, and I tried to warn the people, their blood's not going to be on my hands. I fulfilled that, I think. And, I mean, I'm not saying I did it every time, but I tried to do that. Okay? So, no, I don't need an enemy to rally against. I wish I didn't have to do this. Focus on whatsoever is good and pure, and 
focus on whatsoever is pure and good is what I thought we were told to do. Yes, it is. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, therefore think on these things. That's what we're supposed to think about. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to alienate ourselves from all the deception and say, well, it's deception and I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm not going to, hopefully it'll all go away. And, and, and I'm not going to tell anybody because that might be judging. That's not biblical either. See, there's no balance here. It's, oh, brother, oh, you're so far off base. You've, you've, you've left your first love. I can hear it now, you know. There's no, you know something, there's no balance in that at all. Jesus was very, very loving at times and very, very, very harsh at others. You know, when he drove the, the, the money chambers, changers out of the temple, when he fashioned that whip and these types of things, and when he called the... the what, if, what if those were the only verses you knew about Jesus? What's that? What if you, you were only given those verses in the Bible? What if you were only given the verses where Jesus talked about hell? Because he talked about hell a lot more than he ever did heaven. Okay? About a two... About a... Uh, I, I believe it was about a uh, two to three, uh, talked about it two times more than he talked about hell. Or he talked about hell two times more than he ever talked about heaven. I, and I don't even know if that's enough. What if, that were, what if those were the only verses you had to go on about Jesus? Well, you wouldn't think he was really nice, maybe. You know? But that's all you would think God is today. It's just a God of pure love up there. You know, they call him the big guy in the sky. You know, just there, whatever you want to do. I, I still love you no matter what you do. You can, you can do this and you can do that. Well, the Bible makes a lot of clarifying remarks about who will enter the kingdom of God and who won't. Fornicators, effeminate, murderers, these types of people. Well, those aren't nice verses. Well, you're not hearing them because you're not reading your Bible. You're relying on some man. And the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 9. So, if we've got, okay, those verses there. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. That's what we've got here. Well, I believe my cemetery teacher, he taught me these things. He was a good man. I don't care. You're not supposed to take man's word. Man will fail you. Man will fail you every time. If you put your faith in man... God will put you purposely in a position where he will fail you. I believe that. Because he's going to test you. He's always going to try you. He's going to test you. And if you just believe whatever's pushed, shoved down your throat, especially in today's day and age, you are going to get so deceived, you're not going to know what, even how to think straight. So, do you need an enemy to rally against? Focus on whatsoever is pure and good is, is what I thought we were supposed to do. It's one of the things we were supposed to do. How can we possibly live in the day and time that we live in, in absolutely 100% of the time, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Just constantly, you have to take time out to discern. You have to take time out to judge. You have to take time out to mark. Because if you don't do that, Jesus said that his one greatest warning of the times that we're living in was be not deceived. Well, in order to be not deceived, you have to discern. You have to judge. You have to do it. There's no way around it. We have been, we have been in the deliverance ministry for 20 years and found if you go demon hunting, they will show up. Well, what do you hunt for? If you're in the deliverance ministry, what do you hunt for? Good angels? We focus our attention on Jesus. He shows up. Oh, you know, He really got me. He set me straight. You know, well, hog, tie me and pan fry me. He just set me straight. You know, I don't mind receiving a rebuke if I deserve it. I really don't. In fact, the Bible says a wise man will receive a rebuke and love you for it. 
But a scorner will hate you if you rebuke him. A fool will hate you if you rebuke him. That's why you could tell a fool something and he'll, he'll hate you, he'll scorn you. It says if, if you rebuke a scorner, you'll get a blot. He'll speak all kind of manner of evil about you. Doesn't that remind you of somebody that said about me? It says if you rebuke a scorner, you will get a blot. What does a blot mean? A blot, like they will try to blot your name. They'll speak all manner of evil about you that's not even true. This one that's been doing this about me, I, I have to forgive her about once a week anymore. I find something new she says about me. I have to go over and forgive her again. You know? Does it mean I think I'm perfect? No, but my word. Um, and another thing. The Bible says, speak evil of no man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up all the verses that somebody would typically throw at me. Oh, speak evil of no man. Well, isn't there a difference between evil and truth? Evil is evil. Evil would be like a lie or a slander. This is what he was accusing me of. But if it's the truth, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Well, that's not nice. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. Ye serpents and vipers, ye white sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Oh, that's evil. No, it's not. It's the truth. You see where, where I'm going with this? It's not unbiblical to speak truth about somebody, even if it is harsh. Now, granted, we shouldn't go there and cuss and do this. But, I mean... You know, Jesus, he got pretty pretty harsh. Serpents, vipers, white sepulchers full of dead man's bones. I mean, that would offend most people. And I mean, that was in, as it was relayed in Old English. You know, in today's moniker, it would probably be even more offensive. So, this is my response. And really, this wasn't, I didn't have, I, I, I could have probably worked on this for another couple hours. I, I really could have. I really didn't have the time today to waste on this, but I, I just really felt compelled to put everything aside when I saw this. I said, well, I hate to say this, but this is truly the pot calling the kettle black by this minister. He is the one in need of a rebuke in this case. See below all the overwhelming proof that is presented. Most of it is all referenced. I try to stay away from my opinion as the heart is deceitful above all things. I was so taken back by this response that I set everything else aside I had to respond to him. We are to worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Without truth, we become deceived. And Jesus said regarding the times of the end, we were, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, I see this prophecy being fulfilled more and more. Oh boy, do I see this one being fulfilled. That's the whole, the whole letter. Even if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's the elect. Okay, I'm giving him that benefit. Well, he sure is deceived. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't rebuke an elder like that. Well, you know, you something, you rebuked me. You started this. Okay? You're the one that went off half-cocked, not me. Now, you're the one that needs to be rebuked, not me. Okay? You start something like this, that's fine. We're going to hash it out. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to slink off into a corner and say, Oh, golly, somebody's finally calling my hand. I'm going to have to just show what a little spineless devil that I am. It's not going to happen with me. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. If I put something out on the internet, I'm going to be able to stand behind it. Now, granted, there has been times where I've dropped the ball. I admit that. Typically, it's not about this stuff, though. It's usually about some current event. Maybe I get wrong. Maybe, maybe I got it from a bad source. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. And that's what I tell them. I say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I, I'm sorry I put this out. Uh, and I'll try to correct it as much as I can. I really will. We'll see if this man humbles himself when he gets a hold of this information. We'll see if he does. 
And I hope he does. For his sake, I hope he does. But from my experience, it's been very, very, very rare. In fact, I don't know if I can ever remember one time where anybody has ever come back to me and said, that's a minister, at the head of a ministry, ever come back and said, you know, I'm, oh man, I really dropped the ball. You're right, I'm sorry. I would do that. I really would. If, if, if he could show me how wrong I was, I really would. But I've never seen it done when I've done this. Normally what you'll get back is a scathing rebuttal. He'll probably come back, you know, even worse. Then I said to him, I said, as far as the debate over the devil hand sign, the evidence overwhelmingly points to the cornudo as being this sign. I mean, you could go up and, and you type cornudo into the computer and it comes up on Wikipedia. This is what this sign means. I mean, that's like the, that's like the online dictionary of dictionaries and the computer. It's, there's no, there's no doubt that this is the sign of the devil. There's no doubt. There's no, now there's debate about this going to this. Okay? We're gonna look at that today too. As far as the, um, Okay, so as far as the debate over the devil hand sign, the evidence overwhelmingly points to the cornudo as being the sign. But there are other many evil hand gestures as well. Hundreds, in fact, with some worse than others. This, the one, uh, the one in his attachment displays a very close, is very close to the peace sign, which is very demonic as well, because you've got to go like this or something. I don't know. Like this. Have you ever seen that? I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm sure people are going to go around doing this. Ooh, ooh, boy, that's satan. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. I never even saw that before. I'm not saying it's not demonic, but, yeah, no. I mean, what are you going to do? We can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, we can get into Three Stooges slapstick comedy here. It's ridiculous. I mean, I think you can be a lot more discreet with one of these than you can one of these guys. You know? Yeah, you're going to see on the front of the bush, on the, on, the, on the front of the paper, doing this stuff, you know. What is he, Bullwinkle the Moose? I mean, it, it's ridiculous. So, I say, I say, um, and then I, I, I gave him the attachment that I, I have on the fruits of George Bush, which is basically the um, copy and paste I did off cutting-edge newsletters, where he did the, document the whole fruits of Bush. I mean, that's a whole other subject. I've been there before in this, and I'm not even going to go there. The, the, the fact that this man obviously thinks Bush is godly, I'm sure, by, by the way he wrote this. That just shows you how deceived this person is. Also, I'm not selling anything in regard to this subject. I have not been, I've been doing this for years with virtually no monetary benefit to myself. I am trying to act as a watchman. And then I wrote Proverbs 13, 18, 13. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it is a folly and a shame. Proverbs 14, 12, and Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are of the ways of death. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Second uh, Corinthians 2, 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. These are all, you know, justifications of why we do this. Galatians 4, 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Mark the most cause division and offenses. Jude 1, 3, and 4. This is another one that's not getting done. Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Are we earnestly contending for the faith when we just sit back and do nothing and let, and let, and let deception permeate the body of Christ like leaven? Oh, well, hold on now. Hold on. I got woken up this week on my alarm clock. And uh, to a preacher from Moody Bible Institute, very, very 
barreling voice, authoritative. And I am not lying. He, he made this quote. He said, unless... And, and what it was, he was trying to justify going to movies. He said that he was in this thing and a long time ago, and, and uh, these people said, oh, you, you don't go to movies and this type of thing. And he felt as though that it was getting to be a burden that he just couldn't bear anymore. And, and he finally broke down and he went to a movie. And he, he said, um, he said uh, you know, it's just totally unbiblical for, for them to tell me that, that we can't go to movies and, and that have any kind of fear of God or anything about that. And And then he said, he said, if we are not leavening the lump, if we as Christians are not leavening the lump, we are in direct disobedience to Christ. I kept repeating this over to myself because I couldn't believe what I had just heard. I couldn't believe what I had just heard on the radio. If we, if we as Christians are not leavening the lump, we are in direct disobedience to Christ. I, I recorded it. I recorded what I said just, to, just so I made sure I had it right. Let me, let me just, I want to make sure I said this right. Let me see here. I think this is it. Okay, so he said the the direct quote was that if we're not leavening the lump, if we're not lev- if we as Christians aren't leavening the lump, we're in direct disobedience to Christ. And then what he said is he re- then he went on to say, you know, how would any of these people get saved unless we're doing this? Well, this is the whole thing. Hey, why don't we all go out and get tattoos and start, you know? Going to the bars and and, 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 and going to the movie theaters and, and these types of things. And, and why don't we um, start shooting up heroin so we can relate to the heroin users? I mean, why don't we start doing all these things? We got we, That's the only way we can reach them. Show me that in the Bible. Well, you, oh, I could show you. Jesus went to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Yes, but his very presence convicted them of the sin that they were in. He never participated in the sin. Ever. But his very presence. But he did go to them. Yes. But he didn't, he didn't go to the whorehouse. He didn't go to the bars. You, you notice they always met in houses. Or it was always in some type of open air atmosphere where there wasn't, he wasn't forced to be put in a position where, um, you know, like, where he would actually go into a whorehouse or a bar or whatever. He wasn't in that. He didn't do that, okay? So there's a big difference there. You know, I got, I got one friend. He's, he's got tattoos all over him. He's got everything pierced. Oh, hey, man, but he's Pentecostal. He's going for it, you know. He's he's you know he's gonna live like the world to win the world. Give me a break. Give me a break. We're supposed to be we're not supposed to be unequally yoked together. We're supposed to flee all appearance of evil, and that's what it is. It's an appearance of evil. We're supposed to rebuke the unfruitful works of darkness, not be in them and participate them and condone them. How are we any different from the world if we do that? So yeah, and then and then this man goes on to state. That he was a, uh, he went into this forum, 
where he was with atheists and agnostics, and there was Christians. And that, how that was such a blessing to him. And uh, uh, I, I thought to myself, wow, that's kind of funny, because it says we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. I mean, this was something he was doing, evidently, week after week after week. I could see going one time. But to go week after week, constantly, um, I don't know. I just Everything the guy that was coming out of the mouth, the Bible says, woe to them that call good evil and evil good. And you have people like this guy that, 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 that said this to me in this thing. Isn't, isn't that what he's doing? Isn't he calling evil good? He's saying, oh no, you're wrong. Helen Keller was a godly woman. And, he's, and, 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 and all these other things, she loved to read her Bible. And none of this ever happened. Well, I'm going to show you that that's a lie, okay? And then he's basically going on to say, oh, this hook'em horns thing with it. But hold on, isn't that calling evil good? Because they're saying something that, something that a person is doing, who they're perceiving as a Christian, is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. I'm straining at gnats and swallowing camels, basically, what he's accusing me of. Um, but the Bible says, woe unto them that call evil good and evil uh, they call evil good and good evil, and they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, and put darkness for light and light for darkness. It says, woe unto them. So, um, the Bible says, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That's what I'm doing here. That's what we're doing. If you earnestly contend fighting for something. You're, I'm fighting for truth. I'm fighting for, and the Bible says, and you shall, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. Jesus said this. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So the ultimate truth is this. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. That's my foundation. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, okay. I got this squared. I mean, no doubt in my mind, this is the word of God. Okay, so now, once you build on a solid foundation... There's other truth out there that you need to know, and particularly in the day and time we're living in, demonic things that we need to be aware of so we're not taken unawares, so that we're not snatched in, in that snare that the devil would lay for us, okay? So, we should earnestly contend for the faith. This means you're going to have to fight for it. You have to fight for the faith, especially in the last days. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. Amos 8.11, verse 11 and 12. Wow, I wonder if that's the day and time we're living in. you got about 200 different versions of the Bible, or whatever it is, and you got one version, nobody thinks that's even good anymore. They think, oh, that's just old English, and, and nobody wants to do that. But this famine is going to be hearing of the words of the Lord. It's not a famine of bread. It's not a famine of water. There's no famine of bread or water in America but of a hearing of the words for the Lord. We're not getting it. We're not getting it. There's a famine. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And they shall not find it. You're not going to find it. Most, most churches, you're not going to walk into basically 99 out of 100 are probably not going to be using King James anymore. Period. Not right there. Right there, the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? Well, it says, wow, it says, they shall run to and fro. Where else does it say that? Well, let's go to Daniel 12.4. I just, I quoted it earlier. But I'm going to quote it exactly. Um, I'm going to start in verse 3. And they, sh and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. Well, maybe that's a good thing to do. You know? 
Maybe it's a good thing to be wise. How do we get wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of truth. It's the beginning of understanding. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear Him. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Well, how do you get wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Humility before the Lord. Um, to this man will I look. To him who is of a meek and a contrite spirit. That's who God shall look to. Who is of a meek and a contrite spirit. Why do you think he liked Moses so much? Because it said he was the meekest man in the land. He was the meekest man on earth. It said that about Moses. Well, he couldn't have been meek. He had a bad temper. You know something? I got a bad temper, but I know how to get humble before God. And I don't want to use myself as the template for this. But you can still have a bad temper and still be very, very, very humble before God. In fact, people that have a bad temper sometimes know what a wretch that they are. And it's easier for them to humble themselves before God. I know that's the case with me. So, it says... Um, so they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness. Maybe that's an important thing. Maybe it's important to turn people to, to righteousness. What is righteousness? It's truth. It's things that are right. It's righteous. They're, they're right. Is that bad? Well, you would think by reading this letter, I'm bad. Because I'm trying to turn people to righteousness. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words... Shut up the words and seal the book, even to the end of time. Isn't that the kind of time we're living in? Even in the time of the end. Hmm. Many shall run to and fro. Oh, where did we just read that? In Amos chapter uh, 8, 12. And it says, And they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Did you ever put the connection between those two together? God showed me that a long time ago. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Problem is, is the knowledge we got going on today, most of it's deceptive. Most of it's wrong. I mean, not all of it. I mean, there's, there's certain types of knowledge that are just knowledge. They're, they're, they're neither good nor bad, like an invention or something like that, unless it's used for evil. But I'm talking about getting to heaven and hell. I'm talking about being deceived. Okay? So... Um, we, we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith and to try to turn many to righteousness. Um, he who wins, there's that, that Bible verse that says, he who wins souls is wise. Um, in that we have a responsibility to do this. Um, there's, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. So if you want to get more knowledge, if you want him to direct your path, you have to acknowledge God. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you acknowledge God, you give God the credit for, for what, he, what he showed you. Well, what is that? That's kind of a form of humility, if you think about it. I mean, you could take the credit for yourself, but the Bible says, I am God, I will share not my glory with anyone. He said that. So, so I think when we, um, if we trust the Lord with all our heart, we lean not into our own understanding, and if we in all our ways acknowledge him, then, then he shall direct our paths. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. See, it's so easy for a man to think, well, I'm, my heart's in the right place, I'm doing... Well, yeah, because all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. The Lord weigheth the spirits. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool, the Bible says. In Proverbs 28 verse, uh, 26, verse 28. So, you know, 
I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is like the Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let's reason this thing out. Let's do it biblically, though. I mean, I think I've quoted some scripture. I mean, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that's bringing these scriptures into my head so I can quote them. Not because I'm so smart, I just, they pop into my head as I'm going. And, and I think that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be led of the Spirit. We're supposed to operate in spirit and in truth. And then, if we do these things, and we operate in truth, and we sincerely want to do it, and we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we fear God, then He can work through us. But if you think you've got, if you think you've got it all figured out, and I'm Mr. Smarty Pants, and I'm going to condemn this little peon that said this thing, how can God show you anything? I mean, you've cut off the flow. I mean, when you, when you harden your heart, when you become proud, God cannot speak to you anymore. He can't, you, he can't reason with somebody that's proud. He can only reason with those that are humble. So, we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. They creep in and nobody even knows they're, they're devils. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Why does it say before of old? Because God knows the beginning from the end. The Bible says about, um, I believe it's Isaiah, it says before, well, maybe it's Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet. Well, he knew it before it ever came. See, we're in time and God's not in time. He's in eternity. There's a big difference. Time is like a, you ever the time capsule? Well, okay, here's God. He's looking in at his time capsule. Here's the beginning. Here's the end. Okay, now just say the end's the, uh, the millennium. Okay, I, I think we can agree on that. The thousand year millennium is at the end. Okay, now I'm not saying that's when anything's going to cease to exist, but I believe that's when we're probably going to eternity. Okay, so we have the start over here. Um, creation of the world, these types of things. God can look and see the beginning and the end. How do you think John got all those revelations that he wrote in the book of Revelation? That was being able to basically go outside of the time capsule and look in and say, oh, that's what happens. I see. And then he was put back in it. That's all it was. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's, it's, not, a, it's not anything... But see, God... That's where God lives. He knows what's going to happen. So th these men were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. What does that mean? That means basically, let's turn the gospel of Christ into basically any excuse we can, we can use to do anything we want to do. Yeah, this is not evil. I, I, it's not. You're judging. You know, I have... You know something? I am delivered to do this evil. Like they said in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, and Jeremiah 14. Like they said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm delivered to do unto this evil. In fact, they were proud. They were proud. They made cakes to the Queen of Heaven. The one guy in 1 Corinthians 5 had taken his father's mother, his, his dad's wife, to wed. But yet they were proud. In Jeremiah, they were sacrificing their own kids to Moloch. But they were proud. They said that we're delivered to do any of these. We're so holy, we can do these things and get away with it. <laughs> That's why I get more adamant about this. Because if, if you know, somebody's got to do it. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that people, we are in this room. And I'm not saying there's other ministries that aren't. But there's just not enough. There's not enough. There needs to be more. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. When you deny truth, you better be really, really, really careful. Why? Why would you say that? Well, Hosea 4.6. I'm going to read it spot on perfect, okay? 
I pretty much know it, but, but I want to make sure I don't get one word wrong. Because I want to get my facts straight. You know, like that man said, I need to get my facts straight. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected what? Knowledge? Now hold on, is this only about Jesus Christ? Is that the only... Well, that is the most important knowledge. But I don't see anywhere in here that it just says salvation. That you, you, it would. If if that was the case, it would say because you've rejected the knowledge of salvation. It doesn't say that. It says because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be a priest to me. That thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Wow. So that is not really good because. Um, if we reject knowledge and its truth, and we're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth, and if you continue my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hmm. Truth. Truth. Truth sounds pretty important. So if we reject truth, we reject knowledge, true knowledge, it says he's going to reject us. Now, I'm not making this up. He said it here. Oh, we're in a dis different dispensation. This doesn't apply. I'm sorry, this is pretty much a blanket. It's like when the Bible says in the Old Testament, Thou shalt not eat blood. This shall be a perpetual covenant throughout all generations. You don't eat blood. Period. You just don't eat it. Well, it also is reiterated in the New Testament two other times. Okay, so we can even go to the New Testament and prove that one out. But, if Jesus said, the main warning he gave was, Be not deceived, how are we deceived? Through either, through bad knowledge. Isn't that the only way we can be deceived? Through bad knowledge. How else can you be deceived? I don't, I don't know of any other way. You buy into something that's not true. And it can hurt you. What you don't know can hurt you. That's what this is all about. That's why you can be destroyed for it. I truly, personally believe that if we do acknowledge the Lord in all thy ways, all his ways, he will direct our paths though. I believe if we do humble ourselves and pray for the fear of God in our lives, He's not going to let us go down this road. But it's not happening. The church don't preach about fear of God. They don't preach about humility. I got... Oh, those tapes I showed you the other day, I had a lady, the, the ones on how to be a millionaire God's way. Oh, Lord. I, I got... Oh, I don't even want to go down this rabbit trail. I could only get through about 45 minutes of this guy. I, 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 about, I was getting so angry. I thought it was going to be steam coming out of my ears. So ungodly and unbiblical and yet so dogmatic and authoritative. These guys are good. The devils that emanate through these men are good. Do you realize I looked at that cover again and it had, it said, How to Become a Millionaire God's Way. you know what it had on there? Did you see the little square cutout? It had a picture of an eyeball. You know whose eyeball that was? Benjamin Franklin. What is he? Is he on the $100 bill? What, what one's he on? There he is, right there. $100. His eyeball was cut out, just like this. The all-knowing lie of Horus, or Lucifer, right on the cover of this tape. Benjamin Franklin, a high-level, high-level, occultist, secret society, uh, um, Man, you could go on and on about it. And there, there's, there's no debate whether Benjamin Franklin wasn't Christian or not. It's not like Washington. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. It was openly known. 
he was in a club called the Hellfire Club with Sir Francis Dashwood over in England. They had a lot to do with Francis Bacon and the forming of this country and why Washington, D.C. is such an occult haven. There's no doubt about it. There's no debate. And if you think there is a debate, i got news for you. Go get David Bay's first tape on um, the, the mysteries of um, the, new, the new Atlantis. He just came out with it. Now he's coming out with another one on Washington, D.C. real soon. That's going to show you all of the occult, satanic, demonic architecture. And that the Masons totally, totally made Washington, D.C. They, they laid the whole city out before it was ever built. It's totally demonic to the, to the core. Um, there, there's no doubt about these things. But I, I couldn't even get through that tape. It was so unbelievable. He was, he was saying that, that, oh, bless God, you know, God honors these millionaires and, and, the, and that these people like J.C. Penney and Woolworth and, and, and the Rockefellers, the Rockefellers were all born-again Christians. He said the Rockefellers were born-again Christians. And that's why, even to this day, even though they're dead, their name lives on. Even though that first person was, was dead, their name lives on. Rockefellers... Yeah, they're one of the 13 families of Illuminati. They're, they're high-level generational Luciferians. They're, 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 they're straight from the pit of hell. Other than that, yeah, I guess they're pretty good people. I guess they're pretty good. He, he actually... This is how deluded! They're deluded! They're dumb dogs! They, 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 it's unbelievable! Woe unto the pastors! Oh, man, I mean... Woe is for me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief that I must bear it. That's how I feel. It's like a grief that I must bear. My tabard... But this is God talking. This isn't me. But I can kind of relate to how he feels. This is Jeremiah um, uh, 10, verse 19. My tabernacle is spoiled and all my cords are broken. My children are gone forth from me. And they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore to set up my curtains. There's no, there's no place where the word of God's really being preached. Really. I don't know of hardly any. That's why we're here. My children are gone forth of me. They're, they're, they're gone. They're gone. For pastors are become brutish. What does that word mean? Stupid as a beast. That's what it means in the Old English. Stupid as a beast and have not sought the Lord. If this man that wrote me this article was seeking God and humbling himself before God and had the fear of God, why would he ever write me this? Have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper. Oh, but they're prospering. Yeah, but the film's being developed. God's going to let them have it their way for time. Doesn't the Bible say that in Revelation 3? It said that they're neither hot nor cold, but they're lukewarm. They, but they think that they're rich and in need of nothing. But what are they in God's eyes? They're blind, wretched, wicked, naked, naked. Then he says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, which is the which is the basically the trial of our faith. And then I salve it to anoint your eyes that you may see. They don't see. And the trial of their faith is a joke. There's no trial of their faith. They're in the world. They're, they're doing the devil's bidding. They've not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. It's coming. It's coming in America. All these false flocks are going to be scattered. And they're going to accept the Antichrist.
this is this is um Jeremiah this is Jeremiah eleven. It's where I turn. They are turned back to their iniquities of their forefathers. Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they say which they shall not be able to escape. It's coming. It's coming. And they shall cry unto me, and I will not hearken to them. You you done blown it. You've done blown it. You passed that line, that imaginary line. Only God knows where it's at. The sin unto death. I'm going to prove it's the sin unto death. Here's why. Cry unto... um, Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the the gods unto whom they offer incense. Go to your gods. Go to your prosperity gods. Go to your false Jesus. I'm telling you, it ain't Jesus of the Bible. They're going to. But they shall not save them at all. In the time of their trouble. For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods. In other words, they had a different God for every city. O Judah, according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing. Even altars to burn under the incense unto Baal. Well, one of the things you did, why you did these things to Baal, is to get monetary gain. To me, that's what the churches are all about anymore. I mean, even if the people aren't going there for monetary gain, it's, it's to maybe go put their tithe to be seen of men. Verily, they have their reward if they've done that. They've have, they, they got their reward. They get, oh, no, I want to write it off of my taxes. Isn't that a monetary motive? Oh, well, why are the pastors there? Because they're hirelings, and they have no true love for the flock. Well, no, he's a good man. If he was really a good man, why is he leading you astray? Why is he deceiving you? Well, he bought into the whole thing about his cemetery teacher taught him on, on all. I don't care. I've been a Christian for, for uh, what is it now, 13 years? And, and, and I'm getting into stuff to hear I never, ever, ever heard in a church, ever. But it's right in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not trying to hide this from anybody. It's right here. Why can't, don't they have less excuse than me? And I don't mean that I'm the gold standard. There's probably somebody that's been saved 13 years and maybe know three or four times as much as I do. But I'm just telling you what I know. I mean, it's not what I know. It's what's right here. It's not that I'm making this up. Therefore, pray not thou for this people. It says it right there. What type of person would this be? Well, the Bible says if you see a, sin, if you see a person sin a sin which is unto death, you should not pray for it. Where does it say that? First John chapter 5. What is a sin unto death? Habitual, repetitive, over and over and over sin that they don't want to change. They believe they're delivered to do these abominations. That's the sin unto death. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or a prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. He's not going to hear them. They've passed over the line. There's nothing you can do about it. Not a thing. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to sit here and all be that dogmatic judge. Oh, that's the sin unto death, and I'm not going to pray for one. So, you need to take this to God. This is not something I would ever say, Oh, yeah, sin unto death, forget it. I mean, granted, I think there's obvious examples we can probably look at where it's been so habitual and so repetitive and so flagrant and so having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, um, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Isn't that what we're dealing with here? Seducing spirits. They seduce you away to this, this nice-sounding truth. They're seducing you. When a woman seduces a man, it all looks nice and good, and, and everything looks wonderful, and you have that good feeling inside. But you, And that's what you get in the most churches nowadays. You get that good feeling, good feeling gospel, that prosperity gospel, oh, how to be a millionaire God's way, and this whole nine yards... 
and yet it's a seducing spirit. Giving heed to seducing spirits. And what else? Doctrines of devils. Doctrine. Doctrine implies like the word of God. The doctrine implies some religious belief, some doctrine that is against the word of God. Well, that's what we've got pretty much going on in the churches now. They're preaching a false gospel, watered-down gospel, and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. But according to that preacher that was on the radio, we're directly commanded to be leaven in the lump, leaven in the lump, and if not, we're in direct, direct disobedience to God. Well, bless God, I'm glad he got me straight now on that one. Ah, man, he, he straightened me out. I mean, that's how deluded these people are. So giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, that's what this is. This email. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. If I'm wrong, I'll admit it, man. But the more I researched it, the more I realized that God had shown me this. Because at first I read that, I'm like, ooh, boy, i got to maybe look at this a little closer. I looked at it a little bit closer and found that, no, I wasn't in the wrong, thank God. I mean, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be putting out bad information. But I knew what he was saying about Bush was wrong right off the bat. I mean, that was that was not even of, of even looking a whole lot more into because I, I had put out so much information on that to begin with. So, um, he's not going to hear them in their time of trouble. It says it. He's just not going to. Um, we've, we've already talked about this, a, a lot of these verses. Again, woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep. This is Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people, my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. It's coming. It's coming. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries whither I have driven them. Sounds like that um, if you're a part of the remnant, you might be driven out of your country. It says it right there. It says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them. He, God might drive you out of the country you're in just to get you away from what is going on around you. That's what it says right here. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about the pastors that have fed the people, but what they've done is they've scattered the flock. They've driven them away. They haven't visited them. And then he's going to visit their evil upon their doings. Maybe he's driving his remnant out so they're not in the, so they're not in the collateral crossfire when he starts visiting the pastors. Now, I'm not going to get real super dogmatic about this, but there, it's, it is stated right here, black and white, this is going to be, it's going to happen to some people. I'll gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I've driven them. He's going to do it. It may seem like a horrific thing being driven out of your country, but God's maybe the one doing it because he's trying to spare you from the, uh, from the evil that is to fall upon this, upon the, uh, it's like, it's like being in an atomic bomb blast. You don't want to be in any kind of perimeter on that thing because you're going to get consumed as well. And God always preserves his remnant. And I will bring them again to their folds. So he's going to scatter them, he's going to drive them, and then he's going to bring them back into their folds. That's what he says right here. And they shall be fruitful and increase. Once he's scattered them and driven them, then he's going to bring them back. And then they'll be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Some things to think about. 
So, he wrote me about what a wonderful woman Helen Keller was. Helen Keller, the deaf uh, mute lady. She, she mute, wasn't she? Helen Keller. But she never invented any sign language. Oh, is that so? Hog tie me and pan fry me. She invented over 60 different signs. Now, this is from, this is from a, a, a part of uh, um, a... Uh, this, isn't, this isn't debatable information I'm talking about here. This is just basically a documentary on her. I got this. She invented over 60 different hand signs. She did invent over 60... No, she did not invent the modern uh, uh, hand sign system. Okay? But she did invent over 60 different signs. That's pretty noteworthy. By which she could talk to her family before the age of seven. Helen was a suffragette, meaning that she went, she wanted, she was really heavy into um, women's rights. Okay? And a socialist. What does that mean? She was a communist. That's what she was. Okay? This isn't debatable. I'm going to prove it's not debatable. Helen Keller was a communist. Helen Keller, Keller wrote glowingly of the emergence of communism during the Russian Revolution of 1917. Now, communism, you always see it depicted by the, the, the hammer and sickle on the red. The red is, is symbolic of the blood that has to be shed in order for communism to be established. Communism is in direct opposition to Christianity. In fact, it was started for that very reason, to be like an anti-Christianity movement. Particularly, we see it in Eastern Bloc countries, in Russia, in these types of countries that have embraced it. In fact, Karl Marx wrote the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto. One of the planks being a heavy progressive income tax system, and all the other ten planks are already being fulfilled in this country. Okay, so, that's what communism is. Communism is basically the state taking over everything. Religion, property rights, food, everything. You are basically a servant to the state. You bow yourself down and you are, you, everything is of the state for the greater good. You know, and they believe it's going to be one big happy communal family. Communism, like a commune. Don't work that way. Her, now, biblically, it doesn't. Okay, now this is everything I'm giving you is reference to. Her contacts with suspected communists were frequently investigated by the FBI. In 1920, she was one of the founders of the American Civil, Civil Liberties Union. Helen Keller was one of the founders of the ACLU, one of the most wicked, evil, ungodly organizations that has ever spawned in America. She was one of the founders. <laughs> Good claim to fame, I'd say. In the 19, I mean, the ACLU has done more to try to, to try to take away religious freedoms in this country than any other organization that I know of. Any other. They're the worst. In the 1920s, she sent hundreds of dollars to the NAACP with a letter supporting a letter of support that appeared in its magazine, The Crisis, NAACP. That's also another apostate organization. Um, in 1925, she addressed the Convention of Lions Club's international giving organization, uh, giving that an organization, a major focus for its service, which still continues to today. I'm not sure what that means, but this is straight from um, Wikipedia. It's, it's not from some Christian site that may be trying to discredit her. This is just commonly known stuff. From its very inception in, in January 1920, the ACLU was created and controlled by a steering committee of ardent communists. Great, that's who we want representing things, communists. Including Helen Keller, who, who wrote flatteringly, flattering diatribes about national socialist policies of Adolf Hitler 
and also worldwide communist movement. Sounds like she was really a godly woman, Lisa. I, you know, I was wrong. I, I was I was wrong. I was so wrong. She was writing about Adolf. He was a good man. Communist. Started, helped start the ACLU. What's not to like? Um, so, we've got that. Okay, so that's, that's a little bit there. Okay, she's a communist. Helped start the ACLU. Adolf Hitler. Nice. Really nice. Now, let me ask you a question. If she really, if, if this pastor is true, and one of her favorite things was to read the Bible, how do you reconcile being a communist and loving the Word of God? How could you do both? Communism is so diametrically opposed to the book of Christianity. In fact, so much so that for, I don't know, they have always, 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 always tried to suppress and burn as many Bibles as they could burn in Russia. Because it gives you, the, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a liberating thing. Communists that live in these countries are in bondage and the people that rule over them want to keep them in bondage. This is freedom. They don't want that. You, 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 try, you try to send a hundred Bibles over to, over to China. Or over to, you know, I, I sent a whole thing of tracks over, over to uh, China about three months ago. I don't think it ever got there. Never heard anything about it. I'm pretty sure I insured it. I need to check on that. But anyway. Okay, let's go a little bit further. Okay, well, she's a communist. Whatever. Okay, what, but all this other stuff. She was, she was still Christian. Okay. Helen Keller wrote a book called My Religion. She wrote a book. Now, this isn't my opinion. Go check it out on the internet. I'm not making this up. In which she explained her cult views. Now, this reference is from Tex Mars Codex Magica, where he has a whole book where he gets into these satanic hand signals and these things like that. And they say, oh, Tex Mars, he's anti-Semitic and this and that. Well, you know something? I'm not saying I agree with everything Tex Mars has been doing lately. But that is a very, very well-referenced book. And the thing is, is you could, you could take that book and not even reference it one bit and still prove this all, still prove every bit of what I'm saying. This doesn't hinge upon Tex Mars's book. Okay? How about apostate Norman Vincent Peale? You're not going to know this one, Doug. Listen to this. He has mixed humanistic psychology and occultic mental techniques with Christian terminology. Now, this guy's one of the worst of the worst of the worst. 33rd degree Mason, good buddies with Schuler and Billy Graham and all the whole, you know, name it, claim it, positive, believe, psychology, psychobabble, puke stuff. For example, Norman Vincent's Peel book on positive imaging, he says you can send thoughts to hover over people's minds, eventually bursting into them, compelling them to do things like write out checks for 5,000 bucks. Donetta, I'm thinking right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm directing it at you, and then, then you're next, Lisa. Unbelievable. Oh, thank you. I'm just, I'm reading this. Okay, so, now what is this? This is mind control. This is, this is occultic. This is something that a witch would do. It's like putting a curse on somebody. He has also written many forwards to books supporting psychic practices or teachers. Great. Sounds like somebody I want to be associated with. See, for example, his forward in Helen Keller's My Religion book. He wrote the forward to her book where she testifies to her belief in the occultic practices and the philosophy of the 18th century medium, Emanuel Swedenborg. 
guess who she followed? 18th century medium. Medium, what's that? He's a witch. A medium. Peel himself, a 33rd degree mason, and was even on the front cover of two Masonic publications called The New Age, May of 1986, and The Scottish Rite Journal, March of 1991. Well, maybe, maybe they're all kind of together because they're all moving us to the same direction of the one world religion. Birds of a feather flock together. Um, Peel has written many forwards to occultic books, including Helen Keller's My Religion and John Mark Templeton's Discovering the Laws of Life. As a guest on the Phil Donahue program, Peel was asked of the need to be born again. He replied, very biblically I might add, Oh no, you've got your way to God and I've got mine. I found eternal peace in the Shinto Temple of Japan. Well, whoop-dee-doo, we might as well all go home now. I, I, got it, I got it figured out, Doug. My opinion is all that matters. My existential opinion, Doug. Unbelievable. What is existentialism? Well, you believe your existence, your existential existence, you believe your experiences are what you base your religion on. Well, anything goes. It's like in the book of Judges. In those days, every man did that was right in his own mind. That's, ex that's existentialism. Well, that's where we're at again. And that's pretty much what it's like today. It was in the book of Judges. If you think about it. Pretty close. Here's another article I found on lovely Helen Keller. My journey through Herbert W. Armstrong's Worldwide Church of God. This is from, by a lady named Patty C., April 4, 2000. I got the link here. Another book I found was My Religion by Helen Keller, a woman I'd always admired. I began my quest into the world of the unknown, the hidden, the occult. Now, this is what this woman was saying about this book. Helen Keller introduced me to Emanuel Swedenborg, a 19th century mystic. Through him, I learned a whole different story of spiritual world that he himself experienced. Now, she wasn't saying it, I don't think, in a bad way. She was saying it like, oh, he enlightened me. That's pretty, that's pretty bad. I mean, if you, if you got to have a 19th century mystic enlighten you, and who's the one that brought her to that? Helen Keller, through her book, My Religion. You want to know what, you want to know what Helen Keller feels about religion? Well, get her book, My Religion. Here's another one I found. Here's another one she wrote after My Religion. Light in My Darkness, by Helen Keller and Ray Silverman. This revision and expansion of her My Religion book is the story of how Helen Keller, born blind and deaf, found the wonder and joy in spiritual life through Swedenborg. That Emanuel Swedenborg guy, that mystic. That's how she, this is a whole book devoted to it. Her personal spiritual account shows his effect on her in achieving deeper awareness from the viewpoint of one who has followed a parallel path through the world beyond physical sight. Now this is a, this is a site that was selling this book. This is not some Christian site that's slandering anybody. Oh, but I need to get my facts straight, Doug. And then I saw this. I, I did a keyword search on Helen Keller. First article came up, Helen Keller's No Hero. Um, and it tells about the, the whole, the whole well, I love you sign Cornudo thing. And um, listen, you know, I, the, the, the email itself was 18 pages. I, re, I rebutted him. It was 18 page email. I was, I was that, I was that Adam, and I, I could have made it probably double that, I really could have, and it's not because I want to prove I'm so smart, it's just that I felt as though it really, and that, that email is going to go out to my whole email list as well, I'm going to let them all, I do that, if somebody writes me, I will basically put it in a format where somebody can look at that thing and read it, 
and and I'll let them be my judge me. Judge me. Go ahead. Here's here's what they said about me, and here's what I said. You tell me if I need to be rebuked. And if I do, then I do. I, but I, I don't think we're dealing with that in this case. I kind of look forward to getting rebuked sometimes because you know what? When you get rebuked, the Bible says a wise man will receive rebuke and love you more. When you get a rebuke, if you receive it and if it's a good thing, what is the what is the fruit of that rebuke going to be? It's going to be you getting out of deception. It may be a very humbling thing to go through, but it's one more thing. It's one more less thing between you and God. If you receive a wise rebuke, it's really that's what it is. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I, I, I was. I went off half cocked. Um, now God's looking down on this and watching this happen, and He's saying, "Huh? He's been faithful with little. That means I can give him more. He's not bowing up all proud on me. He's humbling himself. He admitted he was wrong. He's received a rebuke, and he's loved the person that rebuked him for it. Maybe I can trust him with more." I'm telling you, that's how I believe God looks at it. And not because I think I'm God. I'm just trying to think, okay, what would... I mean, what, what is the scripture? I mean, I just think that, that... You just look at the scripture and say, oh, okay. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, that he loves us as little children and that we need to humble ourselves as little children before him. And he won't turn little children away. Precious are they in his sight. You humble yourself as a little child before him. You make yourself precious. You come up to him bowed up and all proud. Yeah, well, uh, God, look at my degrees. Look at my cemetery degrees, God. My PhDs, my THDs, my MS whatevers. My PhDs. Piled hip deep degrees. I mean, that doesn't... I'm nothing before... I, I view myself as nothing before God. Save... Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from His shed blood, apart from His saving grace, I view myself as an absolute total wretch. I view myself as worthy of death. That's how I view myself. I really do. Now, God doesn't see me that way because I believe He sees us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he has a different set of glasses He puts on to look at His, at his remnant, at, at, at the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you can get away with murder either. In fact, it means just the opposite. Because the Bible says, To whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. You're not his kid. He's not looking at you through the same... In a way, it's rose-colored glasses. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So anyway, I mean, don't think I'm adamant about any of this. I, you know, or opinionated. I'm, I'm just trying to show you guys what, what happened to me. This just happened to me today. Um, anyway, I'm going to go back to what we were dealing with before, where we were talking the last week about the whole connection between our government and this whole alien thing, and as the Bible, as Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We look at, okay, what was happening in Noah's day, and the biggest thing that was happening in Noah's day that was noteworthy, I think the overriding thing, I think the thing that had totally polluted the planet, I think, it's very, very obvious, it got so polluted that man's mind was only on evil continually. And God said he regretted that he even had may, ever made man. That's how bad it got. Well, hold on. I mean, what could make it get that bad? Well, from an extremely, unbelievably corrupting influence, 
when the sons of God left their first estate, and they saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them as wise, all that they had chosen, and those days were giants in the land. You talk about leaven. You talk about serious leaven. And these are angelic beings which have a far greater mental capacity than we do. So we were, we were just ripe for the picking. And they appeared as gods. This is where we get the word titans from. Titans, clash of the titans, the Greeks, you know. What were those? Those were the Nephilim. Those were, these, those were the giants that were in the land. This is where we get all of our Greek and our Roman mythology and all this other stuff. Okay? I mean, the women would see these, 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 these things and, and, I mean, if they didn't fall for them, whatever, they would, um, they would take them. It says they took them as wives. So see, this evil that had permeated in the earth, that was the earmark of Noah's day. That was the major thing that was going on. I mean, it's wicked now like it's always been, except it's more wicked. But Jesus said that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, that's where, that's where we're living. Oh, but we can't talk about the alien stuff. Oh, no. No, that's taboo. <clears throat> so I'm continuing where I left off last week on page 16 of this 29-page document. The results of the research, um, and this was about... Uh, let me see here if I'm going to go into this. So, okay, anyway, we had made these packs with... I believe these fallen angelic entities. Don't you think they did the same thing in Noah's day? Think about it. If all man had been corrupted by these fallen angels, and they had, there was only eight people that got on the ark. That was it. So what does that tell you? See, there's some things in the Bible that are obvious, but you have to you have to draw that conclusion at the same time. I mean, it, it, it's it's obvious if you think about it. Is what I mean. Think about it. If Noah and seven others were saved from the flood. And there was, basically, he had to kill the whole world. What does that mean? What, what is something we can assume from that? That means that mankind, as we know it, had gotten so far in bed with these fallen angels and their demonic offspring, called the Nephilim, which were the giants. They had gotten so far in depth and, and in bed with these creatures that man could not even be redeemed. Man couldn't even be redeemed. They had so polluted and leavened the lump. Jesus, or Satan knows that if he can corrupt the seed, then he can, he can, he can stop. In that case, he was trying to stop the birth and the lineage of Jesus Christ. It didn't happen. It continued through um, Noah. But, we can just safely assume that all of mankind at that point was basically in league with these creatures, with these fallen angels. It had gotten so bad. Um, he had to do it. So, that being the case, this is something we should look for today as well. I mean, as it was in the days of Noah, we're coming back to it. We're coming back to it. Why do you think we're getting it? I saw a documentary last night on National Geographic Explorer Channel on alien abductions. Alien abductions. And I'm telling you right now, they're starting to come out and, 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 and they're starting to really start to tell the truth on these alien abductions about the horrific nature of these alien abductions. I mean, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy what these people go through in these alien abductions. They have no protection at all because they do not know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, you get abducted, you better be saved. You better get, you better get saved because they, they were estimating on this National Geographic show 
Oh, and now I've heard it's 3% of the population. Um, I believe that's about the same. 3% of the population of the United States. Well, maybe it's because we made some deals with these things. Did I get into that last week where we actually made deals with these things? Well, isn't it kind of funny that, like, that was the same time all the abductions started? But go go back to the 1800s. Find me any book where there, all these alien abductions were occurring. Well, you would say, well, yeah, but if they're that big and they're that bad and, and, and they could come down and take us anytime they want. No, they can't. No, they can't. Well, why is that? Well, because in the book of Job, they had to go before the throne of God and he had to, give, he had to get permission to go there and do what he did to Job. Why? Because he had put a hedge around them. And God's not going to just let these alien, fallen angelic entities go and abduct and do whatever. If that was the case, we'd all be dead. So see, just remember, in light of this information, don't get discouraged because God is still on the throne. So, the, the, our government tried to scramble after we they, they had made these deals and they found out that these aliens were just all liars. Well, that's no wonder. I mean, I mean, we're dealing with we're dealing with the same things that were happening. We've got fallen angels, and they're probably a new crop of fallen angels, because it's, the Bible says that those angels that fell in, in Noah's day were reserved in chains and darkness and Tartarus. Now, let me just, so we're clear on that, let's go to Jude. Because I don't want to just say something and, and, and go on and not be able to back it up. So if we go to Jude, uh, Jude 42, no, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying to fool you. I was trying to fool you. Um, okay, here we go. Um, but let's just start in verse 5. Now, this is exactly where I left off, where it said, turning our grace of God into lasciviousness. Remember that? Earnestly contending for the faith verse. Well, now we're going to continue. Verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Wow, he destroyed them just because they didn't believe. Huh. And the angels, which kept not their first estate... Oh, now, what, what's that about? Well, that's about Genesis... Was it Genesis 5? Genesis 6. It's Genesis 6. Okay? The angels that kept not their first estate. Came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and the daughters were born in them, but the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man... For that he is also flesh, and his days shall be numbered 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and after that were the sons of God came in the daughters of men of men, and they bare them children to them, the same mighty men, which were the men of old, the men of renown. Okay, so this is what we're talking about here. The angels which kept not their first estate. What estate was that? In the first and second heaven? Really? No, not the first. The, the second and third, really. Um... They came down to our plane of existence and procreated with the women. They should not have done that. It wasn't meant to be. So these are the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. What was their punishment? He hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. Now this was a special place in hell called Tartarus. It's only mentioned one time in the Bible, and I don't think this is the actual place it's mentioned. It's mentioned one other place, and it's, it's meant... And I'm not telling you to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew and do all that stuff, but I am telling you, that one word is translated Tartarus, and it's used no other place in the Bible when it talks about these particular angels, okay? He hath reserved in chains, under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. 
even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. Well, isn't that the other thing Jesus said? He says, as the days, was in the days of Lot. Well, the days of Lot were Sodom and Gomorrah. So here we've got the two tied together. We've got, as it was in the days of Noah, when the angels left, kept not their first estate, and then we have, as in the days of Lot, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Um, so, we, had enter, we have entered into agreement in this country with these beings, these entities. Probably, partly out of greed, partly out of wanting to get the technology, partly out of being evil ourselves, the ones that made the deal. They did it in Noah's day. Don't tell me they, they weren't in league with these things in Noah's day. Read the book of Enoch. Oh, I can't read that. That's extra biblical. Well, I'm telling you something right now. Enoch's mentioned in this very thing. Jude 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them, that are all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Sounds like the day and time we're living in. Sounds like what I've been talking about tonight. All their ungodly, they're all ungodly, they're ungodly deeds, and they're hard speeches. Oh, but they can be convincing speeches. Oh, convincing, but they're hard, they're ungodly. doesn't matter if they're dogmatic, they're wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're reiterating this. So, um, ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Um, so it says Enoch, huh, also the seventh man, prophesies of thee. Where was this said? It was said in the book of Enoch. I've read it. I've got the book of Enoch. Now, I'm not saying the book of Enoch is canon. I'm not saying that. But think about this. Think, now, let's, let's, let's draw another obvious conclusion. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses. First five books of the Bible. Moses was after the flood. The book of Enoch, which, this is a direct quote from the book of Enoch, Nonetta. This right here, it says, And Enoch prophesied. I can take you right in the book of Enoch where he said this. Let's also go to Genesis 5.22. I don't know if what it says there. Enoch's mentioned another time, too. Well, he, he's mentioned always in a very, very godly way. I mean, he was the only guy that, he was basically translated before the flood. Enoch 5.22. And Enoch lived 605 years and begat Methuselah. Now, Methuselah was the longest living man on earth. Okay, so obviously God blessed Methuselah with long life. He blessed Enoch's kid, in other words. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. He walked with God. I don't know any other person that this is said about in the whole Bible. 300 years he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three. 165 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Whoa! Whoo! Praise the Lord! Um, oh, listen to this. Oh, I got some good notes on this one. Oh! <laughs> um, so, what did Enoch do? He walked with God. Enoch put himself in a position that the world did not... 
I'm not going to say it didn't tempt him, but he didn't give in to the temptation. He got away from the world. Enoch walked with God and was a bold witness. Obviously, he was a bold witness. Uh, he feared God. He didn't fear man. Okay. In order to say this, this, when he, this prophecy in Jude, he obviously had fear of God on him. He obviously was walking with God. He was obviously God's mouthpiece. You read the book of Enoch, and if the book of Enoch is everything that it's represented to be, or mostly what it's represented to be, the angels actually went to Enoch the bad angels, and, 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 and besought Enoch to go to God on their behalf. That's how bad they were, and they knew Enoch was that close with God. But if there was ever a person in the Bible that could have done that, here's the guy. If he walked with God and God took him? Enoch was taken by God at the prime of his life, relatively speaking, 365 years. He gave his best years to God. There's another point that, you know, you could think. Um... Enoch made a conscious decision to please God. Methuselah, his son, is an example of the long-suffering of God, as he lived longer than any other human on the face of the planet. And you know what? When uh, Methuselah... And his name, Methuselah, means when he dies, judgment shall come. That's what Methuselah means. When he dies, judgment shall come. He died right before the flood. Right before the flood. So see, Noah did have a few of these people living up to this time when he was building the flood and, they, and Methuselah died right before the flood happened. Enoch was taken way before that. Um, when you got people living eight, nine hundred years, you know, it's, it's a different dynamic you're dealing with. Um, so, let's see here. So anyway, there's some really, really... Um, Neat points about this. I'm just reading these other things. So, yeah, when, when Methuselah died, but the book of Enoch, which is actually talked about, I know, in one or two other places in the Bible, the book of Enoch had to be written before the flood. It had to be. Well, how do you know? Because Enoch wrote it. And he was gone probably 300 years or more before the flood ever even happened. It had to be, He was the one that wrote it. It was first person. What does that mean? What other conclusion can we draw from that? That the book of Enoch had to be on the ark? Had to be on the ark. There's no... Oh, oh well, maybe Noah hid it somewhere in, 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 the, in the earth. And then, no, he couldn't have done that. It had to be on the ark. In order for it to be quoted here, it had to be on the ark. So what would that also tell us? That it is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, scriptural reference that we can have. It's older than the first five books of the Bible. Because the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, and that was hundreds and hundreds of years later. After the flood. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I mean, if you see error in my logic, I just thought about this, and I'm like, well, that's obvious. Hmm. So anyway, interesting points. Okay, so now, I, I just said all that to say this. We were in league with these devils, these fallen angels, at the time of the flood. There's no doubt about it. Mankind was in league with them. If they were in league with God, they would have followed Noah. They didn't follow Noah. They mocked him. It's obvious. I mean, you can imagine, these, these big giants show up on the scene... Most people are going to be intimidated out of their mind. 
The results of the research, so our government tries and we tries to start, we, we realize we've made this bad mistake after we've gotten in league with these devils. And so the results um, were Projects Joshua Excalibur. Joshua was a weapon captured from the Germans, which was capable of shattering four-inch thick armor plate in a range of two miles. It is used aim low-frequency sound waves, and it was believed that this weapon would be effective against the alien craft and their beam weapons. Now, so now we've got technology that's fallen angelic. Flying saucers, this type of technology. Uh, well, why is it that when even if we were to capture one of these things, we could barely figure out how it works or what it does? Because their technology is so much farther advanced than us. We've had basically 100 years to figure this stuff out. And most of the technology that we have today, like... TVs, like computers, like a lot of our modern conveniences, actually came from the fact that we got technology from the aliens. Why is it in the last hundred years we've exploded technologically like we have it in the past, what is it, 3,000 years of our existence? No, it's more than that. It's 5,000, the last 5,000 years of our existence. Why is it just this last hundred years? Well, I believe it's because of that. Now, maybe the same thing happened in Noah's day. Maybe, maybe there was a lot of technological advances in Noah's day. I think Kent Hovind has a lot of proof to that in some of his videos, things that they found underneath the ground that there's no way they can explain where did this come from. And um, things that resemble like computers. And um, this one thing he found, they found it was like a battery. You know? Um, so I guarantee you, and the Book of Enoch goes into the fact that they did the same technological exchange with us. They showed, the one angel, one fallen angel showed them how to uh, make metal. Um, one of them, or, or how to, uh, what's the word I'm searching for here? How to, um, like metallurgy, yeah. One of them showed them how to do this, and one of them showed them how to do this. And there was an exchange of technology, of information, um, but the price is, is the technology came with a very, 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 very large price, price tag attached. Um, and it was a price tag that they weren't willing to, or weren't able to bear, but it would, didn't matter, it was too late. This is the same way it is with the stuff we're dealing with today. We've got, our government's gotten in bed with these things, and as a result of this, we're in too deep. The government's in way too deep. And the um, Bible said it was going to basically be this way. Excalibur was a weapon carried by a missile not to rise above 30,000 feet above the ground, not to deviate from the designated target more than 50 meters, able to penetrate 1,000 meters of tufa, which is hard-packed soil such as that that's found in New Mexico. Uh, and it was to carry a one-megaton warhead and intended for use in destroying these alien bases, these underground bases. Now, these underground bases are, are stinking everywhere in the West. Dulce Base, Area 51, Architectural Mesa, um, all these bases over there it's not a question of if they're there. They're definitely there. And they're under the most highest secrecy. And these are the places that all the cattle mutilations and all the alien saucers are being seen and all these abductions are taking place. Well, if you were going to have these bases and you were aliens and you were doing experiments on humans just like they were in the days of Noah, because the sons of God saw the daughters of men saw that they were fair and then they had these offspring to defile humanity, they're doing the same thing today. It's why you got all these abductions. It's why you got women that get abducted and they turn up pregnant and all of a sudden that, that baby's gone. The people that were on there last night that they were interviewing on National Geographic Explorer, a non-Christian show, the lady was like, 
she showed me this baby that I had, this alien creature came over to me and showed me this baby, and she said instantly I knew it was mine. She was one of these women that had turned up pregnant, had never been with, hadn't been with no man, turned up pregnant, started getting bigger, about, I think it's about three months or six months into it, the baby's gone, she gets abducted again, the baby's gone, and then they later abduct her and show her this baby. And she said, she said, that's my baby. And this, and this alien creature, this, this, this devil, told her, no, it's ours. It was half a stinking alien. Well, hold on, that couldn't happen. Well, hold on. That's what they did in Noah's day. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, they were fair. Well, they were interbreeding with our kind. Why would they do that? To defile the seed. To defile the bloodline. To weaken humanity. To corrupt humanity. Because they know Christ is coming back. And the devil has so deluded himself and his followers into thinking we can beat. I don't think the devil. I think the devil knows exactly he's a beaten foe. But he's going to try to take as many people with him as he can. He's, that's his goal. To kill, to destroy. That's his goal. He's the father of lies. He's no different today than he was then. So we've tried to develop these, these, these technologies that can destroy these bases. According to many sources, several of the alien underground bases contain humans. Um, human hybrids, human captives, both living and in cold storage, who have been victims of the alien abductions from the surface and in some cases subsurface or extrasurface communities. The seventh level of the Dulce base in New Mexico is called Nightmare Hall. Okay, now I've read, I, I've just been, spent the whole week reading about this place, and I, I've known about this for a long time. But this isn't something that typically you can bring up at most churches. Nightmare Hall, what's that? Well, it's they're basically all their genetic experiments. Well, I don't buy into this. You really went off the deep end. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. Before you say that about me, what about all of the crap that our government is doing right now where we're basically combining human DNA with pig DNA and human DNA with rice and all this genetic engineering of the crops which are defiling the crops, which are defiling humanity. I mean, it's no wonder the Bible says that all creation groaneth for the manifestation, for the manifestation of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God in this dispensation? It's the Christians. In the Old Dispensation, the Old Testament, only angels referred to as the sons of God. But in this dispensation, the body of Christ is actually referred to as the sons of God. We're also referred to as kings and priests, and joint heirs with Christ. Now, I'm not wanting to elevate us any get, to get the big head or anything, but I'm just saying it does say that. If you walk in spirit and in truth. So, um, what, was, what was my point here? Um, you, you could say, oh, well, I don't believe in all this genetic experimentation. All this well, they're, they're doing it so flagrantly. This is what our government's admitting to. Don't you think that if, if, if these are fallen angels and they're defiling humanity, that they're going to do everything possibly conceivable to a human being they can do to defile it? Well, why would they do that? Well, because in the, in the start of the Bible, it says, come, let us, who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, let us make man in our image. Our image is the Trinity. Every time the devil sees a human being, he sees a person made in God's image. That doesn't mean that he's living godly, but it reminds him of God. And he hates God. He wanted to be like the Most High. He said, I will ascend under the sides of the Lord. I will be like the Most High. So, he wants to destroy humanity. 
He knows Jesus is coming back. He knows his time is short. The Bible says he knows his time is short. So he is like a caged beast that's going to take as many people with him as he can. Now also in the book of Enoch, coincidentally enough, one of the things that started happening, not at the beginning, but toward the end when it got really bad, see Satan, if, if you're with a devil, that devil may, may seem like the nicest thing that you could possibly imagine when you first meet that devil. They may come to you as the angel of light spirit. Oh, so wonderful. But you stay with that devil long enough and, they, and let that devil get his hooks into you. He'll start showing his true colors every single time. And this is what's happened with this alien stuff because in the book of Enoch, it talks about how toward the end, I should have that book with me right now so I could actually read you right out of it. But it says that toward the end that these fallen angels started defiling the plants, the fish, the animals, and then it said they started eating the humans. Eating them. We were their primary fuel source in the book of Enoch, which is quoted in the Holy Bible. Hmm. It says right here, note, according to many sources, several of the alien underground bases contain humans, human hybrids, human captives, both living and in cold storage, who have been the victims of alien abductions from the surface and in, 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 sub, in, in some cases subsurface or extra surface communities. I read time and time and time and time again about this, that we are their primary food source. Now, I'm not talking about a fallen angel has to have food to live. I'm talking about their offspring does, because they're half human, half fallen angel. They've got to have some kind of food, fuel source. Time and time and time and time again, I read that it's us. Oh, now he's really going off the deep end. Now he's really nuts. Said it in the book of Enoch. What better way to defile humanity? We're going to get into this more. Obviously, Excalibur should not be used against such installations, but the surface-to-surface, subsurface route should be sought out, and an underground invasion force should be utilized to destroy the aliens, yet spare any surviving humans, and to take the bases intact. You're not going to do this apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to infiltrate one of these, these stinking alien bases apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like comparing a BB gun to a howitzer. It's not going to happen. But see, most of these articles you read are, are written by UFO guys that, that don't know God. They may have their facts straight on a lot of things, but they don't know God. To do otherwise may be, in essence, the sacrificing of innocent lives needed to get an advantage on the aliens, in which case we would prove ourselves no better than the aliens themselves. In other words, they're saying, if there's all these people that are basically under there, held captive, which there are, I believe there are, we shouldn't just nuke the place, because we'd kill them too. And if we did that, we'd really be no better than the aliens. Now, the primary, primary base on planet Earth, from my research, is at Dulce, New Mexico. It is a, and it's got seven levels, and the bottom level is called Nightmare Hall. And it's where they do all this genetic experimentation. Okay? Or it's where they keep everything in cryogenic storage. Actually, the sixth level is where they do all the genetic exper experimentation. Joshua was developed successfully but never used to my knowledge. Now, Joshua is one of the weapons. It's an anti-air spacecraft weapon. Um, the public would be told that Excalibur would be needed to take out the Soviet underground command posts. We know that this is not true. One rule of war is that you do not destroy their leaders. They are needed to ensure peaceful transition of power and compliance of the populace to all negotiated or dictated terms. 
of the underground cities and tunnels in which the select representation of all cultures and occupations would survive and carry on the human race. The rest of humanity would be left to fend for themselves on the surface of the planet. In other words, our governments put together these plans that basically say, okay, when these, these fallen angelic beings come to power, we're going to go underground and we're going to leave everybody else out hanging them out to dry because we don't want to be anywhere around. We can't beat these things. And again, they're looking at this from a purely secular man standpoint. They're not looking at it like God's on the throne. Like he can... Jesus is coming back. Okay? So these are the different alternatives they're going over. Um, I tell you what, let me... Um, okay. This is the second part of our study for tonight. We're talking more about the... Um, um, this alien contingency plan that our government has in position. And uh, we were talking about the alternatives, and the second alternative was to actually put these um, these bases, these underground bases that would basically protect the elite uh, of the world, and everybody else would be, you know, have to kind of survive on their own if this takeover happened. Again, we're looking at this through a biblical perspective, knowing that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There's just there's no ministries doing this properly. They totally avoid these subjects. And they will acknowledge that, yes, these aliens are actually devils. At the most, they'll, they'll do that. But they don't go far enough with it. They don't go far enough to say, well, Jesus said this was going to be an earmark of our age. And what was happening in Noah's day? They were in league. Humanity was in a league. And they were so in league, God had to destroy the whole world. So this third alternative was to exploit the alien and conventional technology in order for a select, a select few to leave the earth and establish colonies in outer space. I am not able to either confirm or deny the existence of such batch consignments of human slaves which would be used for manual labor as part of the plan. Uh, the moon, which was codenamed Adam, was the objective of primary, primary interest, followed by the planet Mars, codenamed Eve. I am now in possession of an official NASA photograph of one of these moon bases. Now, I don't want to go too far into this, because I can't verify if that's true. I, I'm not going to get dogmatic about this stuff. There's no way. I will say, if we do have this alien technology, we probably do have this capability. Okay, But, I don't really see any biblical scripture on this one. Now, this other stuff we're talking about, I see where that totally ties in with what the Bible said was going to happen. But this stuff, I'm not going to get dogmatic about. Um, again, God's on the throne, so man can make all the planes in the world, but that doesn't mean that, that he's going to be able to pull it off. Um, so, as a delaying action, all three of these alternatives that we've talked about. Now, the first alternative I talked about last week before we ended. But all three of these alternatives included birth control, sterilization, and the introduction of deadly microbes to control or slow the, slow the growth of Earth's population. AIDS is, is only one of the results of these plans. It was decided by the elite that since the population must be reduced and controlled, it would be the best interest of the human race to rid ourselves of the undesirable elements of our society. Specific targeted populations would be the blacks, the Hispanics and the homosexuals. Now, this is no no mystery that this is going on. It's it's well known that, that the depopulation of the earth is, is a big, big time plan for the United Nations, for the one world government, because the bigger the population gets, the harder those elite at the very, very top 
are to control. Ted Turner stated that in order for the world to be what he terms as sustainable, that we need to reduce world population to, um, I believe it's three to four, no, two to three million, two to three hundred million. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones states it at 500 million, which would be about, we're looking at a 90% um, reduction, 90, depending on which statistic you go by, 90% reduction of the world's population. Now, I've already went over this on my avian flu DVD. I, I went into this pretty great depth. So, this is no mystery. Um, AIDS has been created. A AIDS, this whole thing about AIDS, our government created it. Well-known... Uh, if you doubt it, get Leonard Horowitz's tape. It's called Emergent Viruses. Uh, don't believe everything Edward, uh, Dr. Horowitz believes about religion because he's way off base on that. But he's got a lot of documentation on AIDS. That it was a, that it was a virus that was created in a laboratory and it was given to the homosexual males in um, uh, 1978 in Chicago, San Francisco, and New York. Um as a hepatitis B vaccine, and that is why the gay men in America were the ones that started getting it, and that have it prevalently to this day, because it, gay, AIDS is exchanged through bodily fluid, particularly through blood, and um, uh, homosexual relations are one of the primary ways you could spread it. So, in Africa, they did the same thing to them, they gave them vaccinations that were tainted with the AIDS virus, and that's why AIDS is just eating up Africa. I mean, you think AIDS is bad here? Oh, go to Africa. You want to believe how many millions are dying every year. It's all by design. Every bit of it. How do they do it? Through vaccinations. The lovely vaccination thing. You know? Don't even, I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail. If you, if you get my DVD, you'll see it all on there. And if you're listening to this tape and you want to get my DVD, order now and receive a free Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie with a, fo a faux pearl necklace and a garden weasel for only $19.95 if you order within the next 30 seconds. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I was research I was kind of you know, doing my whole advertising ploy. Yeah, I, I was a, I was a, uh, I did commercial um, once-overs in a former life. Oh, just kidding. I got crazy there again. Sorry. Now, if you want to get the DVD, go up to cuttingedge.org, David Bay's website, www.cuttingedge.org, and um, he's got it up there. You can get it. It's called Avion Flu Killer of Millions. It's a nice, cheery title. I'll pick that out myself. And, uh, no, actually, I didn't. Stan picked the title for it. I didn't have a killer millions. It was, I forget what it was. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Um, so, we've got um, a note here. It says, there are some who suggest that, oh, no, hold on. I've already went by that. No, I haven't. No, there are some who suggest that global warming may actually be taking place as believed, and that this scare is based, is based largely on the computerized model or models or simulations, which have not always coincided with actual temperature variations. It is possible that the Earth is attempting to heal itself. Could it be that, to some extent, global warming is more or less an excuse that is being used to justify huge, huge expenditures for subterranean and extraterranean bases for secret government, such as the alternative scenarios that we mention here? about them having a possible place on another planet. Um, in other words, they're just, they're, what, they're, what they're saying, what he's saying here basically is the government many times will come up with these gigantic problems and what that does is whether the problem's real or not, it gives them the justification to spend billions of our taxpayer dollars in order to build or buy whatever they want to build or buy. Okay? That was the whole point there.
So, another note. It appears that when they made this decision, now this is getting back to the whole how they were, they were trying to destroy the blacks, the Hispanics, and the homosexuals. It appears that when they made this decision, the elite were on the verge of possessing the technology to solve the overpopulation, food, and energy problems. Even to the point of being able to transport excess population to other planetary bodies if necessary. Number one, I don't believe in this whole depopulation thing because the Bible doesn't believe in it. I don't believe we have to worry about overpopulation of the planet because, number one, if you go into that mindset, you're playing God. You are being totally unbiblical. Jesus said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, granted, most of the races on earth are pagan. There's no doubt about it. But that doesn't give us a justifiable reason to kill them or to control these things. Um, well, if we don't, the earth, the earth will just get overrun. You know why the earth's getting overrun right now? One of the main reasons is because the, the, um, the wicked elite have withheld technology, have withheld the means to farm, have withheld so many things from these impoverished, these impoverished third world countries, and it's all been done by design. Mass vaccination, they've done everything they can do to kill them, to make sure they'll die. They're not giving them any means to support themselves or, or, or to be self-sufficient. Um, it's all by design, every, every bit of it. Um, apparently they opted for mass genocide, the, the elite, which they believe would keep the population to a manageable minimum not wishing to give up the political and economic control which they possessed, which would be, to a large degree, lost, if they openly gave their super technology to free the masses. Now, I had a friend, um, this guy, he, and, and he had a man that, that he knew that came up with this technology. It was this super fertilizer. And I know this sounds weird, but he had found this particular type of earthworm that if it was put in the right compost, I believe it was, something that, that it fed off. Actually, I no, what it is, is they could actually put this stuff in garbage. And it would eat anything organic in the garbage and it would and it would produce this super unbelievable fertilizer, these earthworms. Now, it's well known that if you're a farmer and you have earthworms in your soil, that's a sign that the soil's healthy. Okay? It's not a sign that it's unhealthy. Healthy soil is living soil. Okay, in fact, if you doubt this, get the book, Empty Harvest, by Mark, uh, uh, what's his last name? Uh, it's called Empty Harvest. Do a keyword search on the internet, you'll find it. Mark Anderson. Um, he writes all about how the soil of a country is really, when, it, when you really boil everything back, the soil of the country is unbelievably important to the health of that particular country. Because if the soil is dead which our soil is dead in America. We've made it that way. The, the farmers spray basically three things on the soil to get plants to grow. It's called NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. You can get a plant to grow with NPK, chemical fertilizer, and it may look like a tomato, but it's missing all the other things that should be in the soil to help that thing stay healthy. It's missing all the other God-given things that were once in the soil. When we came to this country, originally, when Americans settled, they said the topsoil in some places was like 15 feet deep or something. 15, 20 feet deep, the topsoil. But what we've done is, is we haven't obeyed the biblical laws of letting the land rest once every seven years. We've gotten into the greed factor. 
we've we've started we started to use the chemical fertilizers. We weren't letting the land rest. We weren't letting the land get back. And so and so and then we had to start using fungicides and pesticides because the plants that were growing up had no natural immune systems. Their own natural immune systems many times were enough to ward off the insects. But because they had no no natural defense system anymore, because they were just a shell of a plant grown with three minerals, we had to spray all this poisons on them, and then we eat the poisons. So, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that, but um, that's just one of the things they've done, you know, in, in order to weaken us as well. Um, pro-abortion activist leader and Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger betrays her own devotion to the globalist genocide policies. Now, this is the lady that started Planned Parenthood, the major abortion uh, movement in this country. Now, they are influenced, they influence Africa and all a lot of countries. They set up birth, they, they set up abortion clinics and they do the whole thing. They've killed more babies than, I can't even imagine the price in hell this woman's gonna pay and in the lake of fire. Margaret Sanger. And my mom gives money to her. She gives money to Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Whew. Margaret Sanger betrays her own devotion to the globalist genocide policies and insensitivity to women's rights especially the non-Aryan women's rights, not to mention the constitutional rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, on the part of her multi... Uh, on the part of multi-millions of children, in the following words from her first book, Pivot of Civilization, in reference to free maternity care for the poor, she states, instead of decreasing and aiming to eliminate the stocks that are most detrimental to, to the future of the race, now, well, she means stocks, you ever heard of good breeding stock? You ever hear that term? You know, good breeding stock or whatever. Well, they, you, you typically refer to that in animals. Well, she's referring to races of people. Like the blacks and Hispanics and the undesirables. Um, instead of decreasing and aiming to eliminate the stocks that are most detrimental to the future of the race and the world, it tends to rather to render them a menacing degree dominant. I don't know what that means. And in reference to her pro her Negro project in the late 1930s, which aimed at recruiting black ministers, physicians, and political leaders for birth control and sterilization in the black community, Sanger wrote, quote, We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out the idea, even if it occurs to any more of the rebellious members. End of quote. So in other words, she's like, we don't want these black people to know that we really want to kill them. So what we're going to do is we're going to pay off black ministers to go out and say, oh, this is good, this, this sterilization and this black, this, this, um, this um, birth control and um, all this stuff and these abortion clinics are all good because the black minister is the ones that these black people, and then again, the curse would be the man that trusteth in man. If it don't line up with the Bible, don't believe it. Okay, now I'm not for black people breeding like whatever, rabbits out of control, but you got to understand, most of what we're dealing with in the world as far as overpopulation or as far as maybe something getting out of control in that regard, you're dealing with mostly pagan nations. Pagan nations, God's not going to bless in the first place because they're totally out of, I mean, they're, they're totally out of bounds with God, they're out of step with God. So we have to look at it in that light, too. I mean, the world's a mess, in other words. It's a mess. Um, the U.S., the joint U.S.-Soviet leadership dismissed Alternative 1, 
which I talked about last week, but ordered work to begin on the Alternatives 2 and 3, which we just kind of talked about, virtually at the same time. In 1959, the Rand Corporation hosted a deep underground construction symposium. Now, the Rand Corporation was the one that built the Dulce base that I mentioned earlier in New Mexico. It's well known. They built it. They're an American corporation. Wicked to the stinking core. Okay? They also built all the underground tunnel systems in this country that exist that nobody knows about except very, very, very few. Now, I brought you an article this week that ran, uh, I don't know how many years ago, where they, they, it was right in the front of the Los Angeles Times. The tunnel system proposed underground America could go 10,000 miles per hour. It was right in the, but see, it all got suppressed. It all got put in the back burner. It actually became a reality. But, it's all suppressed from us because we don't even know about that stuff because that's only for the privileged and the, uh, really the devils. Um, machines are pictured and described which could bore a tunnel 45 feet in di diameter at a rate of 5 feet per hour in 1959. Now where do we all come, suddenly come up with this kind of technology? Hey, can, can I see that article? Because that relates to this. I, I think there might be a picture I don't know if there's a picture of it. Yeah. Uh-oh. Sorry, we had a little technical difficulty there. I'll try to get on my sound man about that. Anyway, um... Nah, it's not in here. Yeah, you've seen a picture. They, they've actually... I've, I've got a picture of this, this tunneling machine. It says U.S. Air Force right inside. It has some people next to it. And it's right outside of a tunnel. And it actually melts the rock. It has, it's, there's some kind of nuclear thing, it actually melts the rock. Um, here, right here. 10,000 mile per hour tube shuttles. You bet. If you doubt the possibility that the U.S. government black project engineers have the ability to secretly construct an underground tube shuttle system, think again. Here is a quoted article that appeared in the Los Angeles Times newspaper on June 11, 1972. It is an interview with the lead physicist at RAND. Who did I just talk about? RAND. The RAND Corporation think tank about how economical, technologically achievable, and environmentally friendly such a very high-speed transit system would be. And it would be, it could be a good thing. This doesn't have to be evil. But you've got to understand, anything that's really, 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 really good, we're, we're, that's withheld from us. They're going to use it for evil. Here it is. L.A. Times, June 11, 1972. L.A. to New York in half an hour. L.A. to New York, and you go in 10,000 miles an hour, you can do it. 10,000 mile per hour tunnel train plan developed by the Times science writer George Getz. L.A. to New York in half an hour. Here's the whole thing. Rand Corporation physicist has devised a rapid transit system to get you from Los Angeles to New York for 50 bucks. This was in 1972. He said existing technology... Uh, makes the system feasible, and so does cost analysis. The essence of the idea is to dig a tunnel, more or less, along the present routes of the U.S. highways, 66 and Highway 30. The tunnel would contain several large tubes for east and west travel of trains that float on magnetic fields, moving at top speeds of 10,000 miles per hour. Passengers would face forward during the acceleration and backward dur during deceleration. According to R.M. Salter, Jr., head of the Physical Sciences Department at Rand Corporation, the idea of a high-speed train using electromagnetic suspension was first put forward in 1905 and actually patented in 1912. The trains he suggested now would be single cars rather than actual trains, 
and would be big enough to carry both passengers and freight, including large containers and automobiles. I mean, this would be amazing. This would be awesome. But, oh, we couldn't do that. It would, it would cut into the, all the, the greedy oil companies and all of the, uh, the uh, airlines. Can you imagine that? Um, so, yeah, I'm looking at this article. I mean, it's all a quote from this article. Um, and, and this is absolutely documented to the teeth, this article. I mean, it gives you the RAND document, RAND document number P-4874, year 1972, page is 17, title, Very High Speed Transit System. And, and then there's another document. I mean, I could go right down. There's three different specific RAND documents that they're all quoted. This is not my opinion. Um, so... <laughs> We've had this for, for tons and tons and tons of years. Why don't we have this implemented in America? Well, for the reasons I stated, they're going to keep the real good stuff for themselves. And there's too much money to be made um, by not implementing this. You know, this would, this could, I mean, think of the pollution it would save alone. I mean... You know, it would be a lot less... There's no pollution with, mag with magnetic... With this type of... Trend. There's no pollution whatsoever. Nothing. No burning up gas. No downside. Really no downside whatsoever. Um, it's an amazing little article. Um, and again, this is not my opinion. This is well known. Okay? And it's all documented. Um, so, th this report... Machines are pictured and described which could bore a tunnel 45 feet in diameter at a rate of 5 feet per hour. And this was in 1959. It also displays pictures of huge tunnels and underground vaults containing what appear to be complex facilities and possibly even cities. It appears that the previous five years of all-out underground construction had made significant progress by that time. Well, they've got several of these underground boring machines under America since who knows what year been going... And what they're doing is they're connecting these evil, stinking, alien, I say fallen angelic, human bases to one another. They got one going from Dulce to Los Alamos, one from going to Los Alamos to underneath the airport in Denver. That's one of the most nastiest places on earth. Then you got one going uh, to Dreamland in Nevada, which is Area 51. You've got them crisscrossing all over the country. Nobody even knows about it. Nobody even knows about it. And yet they had that article back in, in 1972. Um, the ruling powers decided that one means of funding the alien-connected and other black projects was to corner the illegal drug market. Now, here's another thing. If you don't believe this, get there's um, a, a video called Clinton in His Rise to Power. Bill Clinton in His Rise to Power. Documents the whole thing, how he was running drugs out of Mesa, Arkansas, uh, when he was uh, governor of Arkansas. And, I mean... The trail of dead bodies that that man left is unbelievable. All documented, every single bit of it. And and we think, oh, we have a war on drugs. You ever hear that? We have a war on drugs? You know what the war on drugs is? The war is on, is on the people that are trying to smuggle the drugs in that aren't the government. The government actually brings the drugs in, into this country. Now think about it. They've already got thousands and thousands, millions of people addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. And those are evil, for the most part, other than maybe to save a life. Well, what's, what's the difference if, if, to make that other logical step to cocaine and to marijuana and these other drugs? Well, hold on. Doesn't 
Satan want to defile humanity? Doesn't Satan want to try to weaken humanity and, and hurt their immune systems? Maybe that's why we're eating all these foods with fungicides and pesticides and there's chlorine and there's fluoride in the water. You know what fluoride does to you? It, 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 it burns out your lower brain lobes and those are the, that's the part of your brain that gives you a will to resist. They don't want you to have any will to resist. They just want you to go like a sheep to the slaughter. So what's, what's a big stretch to believe that our, that our government's actually behind smuggling drugs into this country? It's well known. If you do any kind of research on this at all, do, do some research on the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, which we talked about, which was basically formed as a cover-up measure in its inception to this whole alien thing, because they knew they were going to have to cover up a lot of stuff. They knew they were going to have to. So, the ruling powers decided that one means of funding these alien-connected, they call it alien-connected, I call it Nephilim, fallen angelic-connected, and other black projects, how are they going to get the money to build these big bases underground? To build these tunnels? To do all this stuff? All these experiments? How are they going to do it? Well, corner the illegal drug market in America. It's a good way. And who would ever believe our American, good American government could do such a thing? Never. The English and the French had established a historical precedent when they exploited the opium trade in the Far East and used it to fill their coffers and gain a solid foothold in China and Vietnam, respectively. So the English and French have been doing this crap for years. It's no, it's no mystery. You do a little, do a little research. A young ambition, a, a young ambitious member of the Council of Foreign Relations was approached. His name was George Bush who was at the time the president and the CEO of the offshore division of Zapata Oil. I wonder why our good president, George Bush Jr., this is George Bush Sr., they're all oil men. Oh, I wonder why we wanted to go over to the Middle East and Iran and, and, and Iraq and Afghanistan. Huh? Oh, and Cheney, he was the CEO of Halliburton Oil before he became the vice president. I wonder why we are going over in all this oil-rich country and, and we're, we're, we're acting like we want to go to war and we, and we have no choice, but we got to be over there, yet we're taking control of all the oil pipelines and we're getting all that, we're making all this money. Of, uh, that couldn't have anything to do with anything, I imagine. Nah, I'm just being paranoid again. Yeah, I'm judging too. Um, George Bush was at the time the president CEO of the offshore division of Zapata Oil, based in Texas. Zapata Oil was experimenting with the new technology of offshore drilling. It was correctly thought that the drugs could be shipped in from South America to the offshore platforms by fishing boat. Be a great place because you would have an actual staging point. The drugs could be brought into the oil rigs that they own, offload the drugs in the oil rigs, and then have your boat come into land, and they think everything's copacetic. Nobody's going to check it. These are official oil rigs. Um, to be taken there to shore by normal transportation used for supplies and personnel. By this method, no customs or law enforcement agency would ever be subject to cargo search. What a great scam! I mean, that's the ultimate scam to get drugs into the country because they're thinking, here's what they're thinking. You get this cargo ship coming back from the oil rig. You're not going to have to go through customs every time. Why? Well, because it's a boat that went from the shore of Texas to the oil rig and that's coming back. They don't know another boat's come there, offloaded all the drugs, and then it's the ultimate. It's brilliant, if you think about it. George Bush kindly agreed to help with this transportation and organized the operation in conjunction with the CIA. Hmm. George Bush was the head of the CIA. Oh, isn't that a coincidence? Hmm, did you know that? 
of, of former President George Bush. He was the head of the CIA for a number of years. George Bush agreed to help in conjunction with the CIA. The plan worked better than anyone had ever dreamed. It has since expanded worldwide. There are now many other methods of bringing illegal drugs into the country. They fly them in. They bring them in by oil rig. They just the government. It's a wonderful government we have. Whoa! They're actually putting. They were actually putting the uh, drugs into the bodies of dead servicemen coming back from Vietnam. I mean, any way they could get this stuff back, they were, they were doing it. And and yet we think we have a war on drugs. And we'll watch cops on TV, and they'll be in there going down, breaking down the house, and you know, typically a whole house full of black guys, and they got drugs and guns, and and you think that's where all the drugs are. Those guys are such small potatoes. Where are they getting it from? Ultimately. Where are they getting it from? See, they're just two-bit dealers. I'm talking about the source. I'm talking about the foundation of all of this. And if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, if, uh, if a wicked person's foundation be destroyed, if their foundation be destroyed, they won't be able to do anything either. But it hasn't been destroyed. And God's permitted it to happen, but we've been given over to our own devices, really, in this country. Um... It has since expanded worldwide. There are now many other methods of bringing these illegal drugs in the company. It must always be remembered that George Bush began the sale of drugs to our children. The CIA now controls most of the world illegal drug markets. And I believe they rewarded George Bush for this by making him the head of the CIA. Do you see how all this is connected? That's why I wanted to read this, because there's so many things that we talk about here that may seem unrelated, but if you start to look at it big picture, that's what my... If, if, if I had a ministry... That's what I'd name it. The big picture. No, just kidding. But, I mean, that's what I want people to see. The big picture. Let's look at this. Actually, the, no, let's call it the big biblical picture. The big... I need to have three Bs. The big biblical blow-up. I don't know. Something something catchy, Doug. Work on it for me. I ordered the, the Globe last week, too. I got it on... I got a used one on eBay. It was one of Smiley Joe Olston's when he, uh, when he first started... So, see, what he did is he started with, like, little, real teeny globes because he couldn't afford the big ones. So, I got one coming next week. It's got, like, a, a, a Ronco nightlight behind it and a little disco ball in the middle. But, anyway. So, anyway, we're going to start small and we're going to progress our way up, okay? And I, I got the uh, the tithing kiosk coming, too. Uh, I hope Nonetta doesn't mind. I was going to, I don't know, put it somewhere in here so we could get those tithes kind of rolling. I, I, you know... The, the offerings have been down lately. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to browbeat the congregation, but I might have to because, you know, I have a Ferrari payment to make. And, um, just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I need to... <laughs> We've got the prophetess robes ordered as well. Yeah, I got my magic wand. Actually, what I was going to have is maybe a throne, and I was going to have a scepter and an orb, you know, kind of looking very regal and stately in my... Royal robes type of thing. He's going to get a crown, maybe. Novelteen secret decoder ring. Anyway, I'm getting a lot of control here. But um, So we, 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 if we continue, um, this is a brilliant scam. I mean, unbelievable. It still is a brilliant scam. The official space program was boosted by President Kennedy in his inaugural address when he mandated that the United States put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. Although innocent in its conception, I don't believe that. Um, this mandate enabled those in charge to funnel vast amounts of money into black projects. Why, why do we say this? Well, because a lot of the money...
that's went to what we call black projects, like these underground bases that nobody knows about, and these tunnels that are made that nobody knows about, and all this experimentation that's done on the human population that that um, nobody really will acknowledge, in the government at least. All of that funding, that is called black projects. And this isn't something where you're going to go and say, wow, yeah, my income tax went to... Your income tax don't go to that anyway, but I mean, all the other taxes, and we're going to see that tonight on this video, all the other taxes... They'll, they'll funnel a certain amount out of that, and that'll go to, let's say, NASA, the space program. But that's actually just a front. They'll funnel this stuff every which way you can imagine. And we talked about that last week, too. Um, although innocent in its conception, this mandate enabled those in charge to funnel vast amounts of money into black projects and conceal the real space program from the, real, from the American people. Well, it allowed them to conceal what was really going on with the money. A similar program in the Soviet Union served the same purpose. In fact, a joint alien United States and Soviet Union base existed on the moon at the very moment that Kennedy spoke these words. Again, I'm not going to get dogmatic about that. Okay, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. I don't know, but it is possible. At some point, President Kennedy discovered portions of the truth concerning the drugs and the aliens. And again, when I say aliens, I don't mean that, oh, these are aliens from other planets. I mean fallen angelic Nephilim, exactly what the Bible says. So always bear that in mind. I would word it differently. He issued an ultimatum in 1963 to Majesty 12. President Kennedy assured them if, he, if they did not clean up the drug program, he would. He informed Majority 12, I think Majesty 12, that he intended to reveal the presence of the aliens to the American people within the following year. He ordered a plan and developed to a plan developed to implement this decision. Um, President Kennedy's decision struck fear into the hearts of those in charge. His assassination was ordered by the policy committee and the order was carried out by the agents in Dallas. Now, his assassination was an absolute total textbook Masonic and I mean the Masons, Masonic, occultic, assassination. Everything that happened that day. He was on like the 33rd parallel in Daly Plaza in Dallas. There, I mean, you could go through the Masonic things on that all day long. It was a Masonic hit. And it was sent out as a warning, don't go against us. Because if we put you in this position, which is what happens. Now, the Bible does say God setteth one up and putteth another down. I'm not arguing that point. But I'm talking about our government, which is very, very corrupt at this point, and has been for decades and decades. God has permitted wicked men to occupy that office. And if they put you in, if the devil puts you in somewhere, he can surely get you out real quick and make you an example. That's all, that's all Kennedy was. That's a whole other rabbit trail where we could go down. I could spend four or five hours on that, debunking that whole thing. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Another plan is enforced. It is a plan to prepare the public for the eventual confrontation with the alien race. Now, this is no this is no mystery. This part we know all we've got to do is watch the X-Files or watch these shows about the aliens and all these things to know that they're preparing us for some they're not just twiddling their thumbs here or playing tiddlywinks putting this stuff up just for our entertainment and nothing's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. They're preparing us for this confrontation with what they're going to say is an alien race. Most likely, the alien race is going to come forth like they do in intelligent design and say, we're the superhuman race, we created you, 
you are our science project, you've messed things up so bad, we've got to come back, straighten things out, and in the process of the deal, we're going to even make you ascended masters like we are. We think you can handle it at this point. If you don't, you're going to just, and it's all going to sound good and wonderful and lovely. Okay, they probably did the same thing in Noah's day. I guarantee you, when those angels fell from heaven, they 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 sold those women, the the women that they went with, that they procreated with, a bill of goods. Isn't Satan a liar and the father of lies? Well, they to, they they told mankind all these things they wanted to hear. They exchanged technology with them, just like in the Book of Enoch, and. They promised them all these things, and the further we got in with them and league with them, the more we realized they had no intentions of fulfilling any of this. And they, had, at that point, they had corrupted humanity so bad, God had to destroy the world in a flood. So, the public is being... Um, the public is... Uh, it could also, this confrontation with the aliens, now listen to this, could also be intended to make you believe in an alien race that does not exist. The public is being bombarded with movies, radio, advertising, and TV programs depicting almost every aspect of the purported true nature of the alien presence. This includes the good and bad. Look around and pay attention. Someone is planning to make their presence known, and the government is preparing you for it. They do not want any panic. The unprecedented number of sightings worldwide indicates that public exposure is not far off. See, the more we get these sightings and all these shows... When it really happens, it's not going to be that big of a deal had it happened 50 years ago, there would have been... But see, we've been prepared for it. Never in history have there been so many official acknowledgments. Now, there was one thing. It said it could also be intended to make you believe in an alien race that does not exist. Well, what do you mean? Well, when they come, what they're going to say is, Hello, we are the Greys from Zeta Reticuli, and we were whatever. You are a big science project. Millions of years ago. And, you know, they're going to go along with evolution, the whole nine yards, and the Big Bang Theory, and Charles Darwin's going to be their buddy. And, and the thing is, is what it's going to do is, we're going to think, wow, they came from Zeta Reticuli in the nebulous, somewhere out in space, and this one came from Orion. These are real star constellations. And this one came from the constellation Draco. And this one came for, from the dog star Cirrus. These are real constellations that they're saying they've come out of, okay? What that does is, is it, it causes us to lower our defenses down because we think, well, maybe there are this really advanced technology from another world and another planet, and maybe what they are saying is true. It seems so much more believable to the mortal mind if they come from some billions and billions and billions of miles away. Whereas, what if these things were here all along? What if? And that's what they were. I believe they've been here. Now, I'm not saying they don't have the, the power or the potential as fallen angels to travel to other planets. And if they have the technology capable of going to Mars or whatever, I'm not saying that's not possible. But I believe in what the Bible says, primarily. And the Bible says, I beheld Satan fall from heaven as lightning. He fell to the earth. His angels, I believe, fell to the earth. His angels, right now, the ones that left their first estate, are reserved and changed in Tartarus. Hmm. I don't see in the Bible where it talks a lot about these angels going to other planets and occupying other planets and doing these things. I believe that primarily, these things, these fallen angelic beings, when they were here during Noah's day, they were here on Earth. They populated Earth. Hmm. When 
David went in to take the promised land and he fought the giants, the Anunnaki, the Nephilim, the Zazumin, these these giant fallen angelic hybrid races, when we fought them, they were on earth. They were on earth. So, this is the lie. See, but this is what makes it so much more believable. Oh, they come from outer space somewhere. Oh, I believe it now. But it doesn't... It's kind of anticlimactic if they were here all the time. Well, if they were here all the time, why didn't they just come out before? Why didn't they take over sooner? Because God was on the throne. He wasn't going to let them. Period. That's it. So, um... Uh, someone is planning to make their presence known, and the government has prepared you for it. They do not want panic. Uh, never in history have there been so many official acknowledgments or sightings as there are now. For many years, the secret government has been importing drugs and selling them to people, mainly the poor and the minorities. Social welfare programs were put into place to create a dependent, non-working, lazy element in our society. I added the lazy. The government then began to remove these programs to force people into a criminal class that did not exist in the 50s and 60s. That's interesting. That's brilliant. You create a really dumb, lazy, drug-dependent, pharmaceutical drug-dependent, and illegal drug-dependent, junk food eaten. I mean, let's face it, if you put 55-octane fuel in your car, your car's not going to run right. Well, you go into the grocery store, and that's what you're going to get. You're going to get 55 octane, for the most part, unless you really shop right. Kids today, growing up, have no semblance of what it is to eat right. They don't. They don't have any... They, they don't have... Oh, green? I can't eat anything green. The only thing I can eat green is green M&M's and green sherbet. That's their idea of eating good. You know, if it's green, it keeps you lean and mean. No, no. Green are green sherbet, green M&M's. That's it, man. Green jello. None of that green stuff. So see, the, the kids, everything about the way the kids are being brought up is warped. Harry Potter, I want to be like, I want to be this witch, I want to be this, I'm going to play my video games, kill everybody. Uh, uh, I'm going to eat my junk food, I'm going to eat all my processed, trans fat, fluoride uh, laden, chlorine ridden, aluminum contained, and take my vaccines, dumb me down, I'm going to go to the public school system and just have it ruin me, teach me that, that there was Adam and Steve in the Garden of Eden, and all this other crap, and you think they're not going to grow up twice the child of hell? I mean, I just, I just covered a few things there, that's not half of what they're doing to them. So they're, they're breeding this race right now, that's, that's, that's going to accept the Antichrist, and embrace them. So they want this dependent, non-working element of society. And then the government began to remove these programs, these social programs, to force people into a criminal class that didn't exist in the 50s and 60s. The government encouraged the manufacture and importation of military firearms for the criminals to use. This was intended to foster a feeling of insecurity, which would lead to the American people to voluntarily disarm themselves by passing laws against firearms. And in a disarmed society, the law-abiding citizens would give up their gun rights. While the criminals, who were conditioned not to follow the laws anyways, would still retain their firearms. See, I like this article. It's covering so many things. Okay, well, I don't believe that. I mean, when we disarm, we're safer. Oh, yeah, okay, let's go to Australia and let's go to Britain. And let's see how well that's worked. They've disarmed totally in Australia. You can't have guns there. Well, you know what it did? It made their, their crime rate go through the absolute total roof. Their crime rates went up, I don't know how many hundreds of percent. Same thing in Britain. 
in Britain, the police don't even carry guns. They carry nightsticks. And the criminals have them. That guy that um, killed that, that bodybuilder guy that killed that guy uh, in Fort Myers, they ended up finding him in, in London. And when they confronted him, he had a gun and they didn't. He killed a whole bunch of their policemen over there. That bodybuilder guy. I used to train with him. Sorry, just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't train with him. Go ahead. We, yeah, we were just lamenting how just virtually everywhere you turn is a lie. And that's why I'm so dogmatic about putting out truth. Because it's so amazing to me when I see these people, these Christians that want to defend lies and have no basis. I mean, that, that letter that was written to me earlier tonight. That's it. It's, just, it's one big opinion. Yeah, he, he says some stuff, and there, there may be some truth, but there's a lot of leaven in this stuff. So he'll, they'll put out a little bit of leaven, a little bit of truth, and mingle, mingle it with leaven to get the point across. And that's, what we, that's the generation we live in. Not everything we're told is 100% a lie. But so much of it is, and you, you mingle a little bit of leaven with truth, and, and rat poison's 95% good food and 5% poison, or whatever, maybe 2 or 3% poison. Doesn't take a whole lot. So, um, for many people, the secret government has been importing drugs and selling them to the people, mainly the poor minorities. Um, the government encouraged the manufacture and importation of firearms, and we already we already talked about this. Um, criminals are there will be illegal. Uh, these these firearms the criminals have will be illegal, of course if they ban all guns. <clears throat> but breaking the law would be nothing new to them. Using drugs and his hypnosis on mental patients is the process called Orion. The CIA um, inculcated in in the desire in these people to open fire in schoolyards and thus inflame the anti-gun lobby. This aspect of hypnosis has been used in other murder assassinations. Well, here's a whole other rabbit trail we can go down. These guys that all of a sudden turn up somewhere and kill all these innocent people. And do you notice how they always kill themselves afterward? Oh. And there's like no reason they do it. They have like some reason like, yeah, I had a bad childhood. Or Johnny stole my milk money. I mean, there's no real reason these guys should just go out the total deep end. Mind control. Many of these are mind control victims by our government from very, very early ages. This is a whole other rabbit trail we could go down. There's no possible way I can address it tonight. There's whole books written on this. Um, most of the time these people are brought up in generational Luciferian witchcraft families. They're mind controlled, drugs, hypnosis. They're called MPDs, multiple personality dis disorders. And they program these people. And there's been movies about these people where they basically trigger them and they go into this programming where they go and they will commit these heinous crimes and it's like they're on autopilot. They go and they kill all these people and then they turn the gun on themselves. What does that do? Well, it puts fear into humanity and what the government does is says, we've got to do something about this, even though they were the one that created the problem. We need to act, enact new legislation to take these guns away because look at what they're doing. It's not the gun's fault. The guns are like money. They're neither good nor evil. They are only what the guns, money, things like this are, are, um, are only corrupt 
if the person that possesses them are corrupt. Guns and money take on the personality of the possessor, of the user. If you, you can have a million bucks and do a lot of good with it. You could put it into missions, you could feed orphans and widows, it could all be good. It doesn't have to be evil. Well, the love of the money is the root of all evil. It depends how you spend it. The Bible also says in Ecclesiastes, money answereth all things. Now granted, that is coming from a worldly perspective in Ecclesiastes. Don't take everything in Ecclesiastes as gospel, but I'm saying he does say that. Money does answer a lot of things. The love of money is the root of all evil. Do you love money? Do you live for it? Is it your, your driving desire? Well, then you are going to get corrupted if you have it. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. No, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He also says those that are rich will fall into many a snare and a temptation. That's why I believe that most born-again Christians don't ever get filthy rich. Because God knows they can't handle it. I don't know, maybe I can't handle it. I don't know. Lord knows I'm not rich. <laughs> so, um, I'm not complaining. I don't want to be complaining before God. I'm just saying that, that you know... We, uh, we, we got the globe ordered and the kiosk. The kiosk is going to really... I think we, if I get that 18% increase like they got, that can make all the difference for me. Of course, we need to get this congregation a little bit bigger. So you guys need to go and round them up. Bring them in. I'm sure they'll love my preaching. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they'll love me. Um, so, that's a whole other thing about the whole mind control thing. Um... But, again, it's something that they do that, that, that achieves the goal that they're trying to achieve. Uh, then we have another note here. It says, I have found that these events have indeed happened over the country. In every instance that I have in investigated, the incident at the woman's... Now, this is about these mind control people that just... Programming clicks in. There, there was a show. Now, Hollywood will always telegraph what the government's planning on doing. There's so many shows that are on in Hollywood, and I'm not telling you to go to the movies and see them, but I'm saying there are a lot of shows that are on that predict the alien invasion, that predict Armageddon, that, that predict the Antichrist coming, these types of things, that, that predict the whole alien thing. And there's, there's a couple shows in particular. One of them is called Telephone, and it was by... Who played in that? It was a, one of those real macho guys. Uh, not Clint Eastwood, but the other guy that was... Bronson. Bronson played in Telethon. Richard Bronson, was it? He played in a show called Telethon. And what Telethon was, it was about these mind control victims that were programmed, and they were so programmed that they would live their lives day to day, look totally normal. They could be a preacher. It could be anybody. And one day they'd get a phone call. And they would, they would, they would say a phrase or a word like... Um, I don't know, it could be a nursery rhyme, it could be a part of a nursery, it could be something, Pink Panther, I don't know. And that key phrase would trigger them to go into this programming mode where they would actually have this assignment planned out and they would go and they'd be like on autopilot. And they'd go and they'd kill all these people and then kill themselves. Why would they kill themselves? No witnesses, not a witness. It can get that bad. And again, that's a whole other rabbit trail to go down. I have found that these events have indeed happened over the country. In every instance, I have investigated the incident at the woman's shopping school, the woman's school in Canada, the shopping center incident in Canada, the Stockton, California massacre, the murder of Rabbi Mir Kahane. The shooters were all ex-mental patients or were current mental patients who were all on the drug Prozac. You know what? He's not even saying that half of it. 
almost every... You, you, remember, you remember all those shootings that happened at the post offices like 10, 15 years ago? You know, that's where we get the, the, the phrase, they went postal. Oh man, he, he went postal. He's gone postal. When you say that phrase, that means when you go postal, you went nuts. Because all these ex-post office employees were on these drugs and they went nuts and they were actually had this programming. Evidently, working at the post office is... I mean, evidently, a lot of people go nuts working there because it's like they say the mail just keeps coming and it keeps coming and it never stops and it never ends and they have to be they have to be in a very calm, almost drug-like mode many times working in a post office. It's very very monotonous work, and it never ends. It never ends. It only gets worse. You know what I mean? So. It, it, a lot of these people, in fact, all the ones that went postal at that were post office workers, every single one of them were on Prozac. Oh, but Prozac's given for mental illness to help calm people down. Well, it has the exact opposite effect. You go on Prozac, your risk of suicide goes up, I don't know how many times, but it's way worse. Your risk of going nuts and berserk, way worse. Because you're interfering with this chemical called serotonin in the brain, and you don't mess with that chemical. You start messing with serotonin, you'll go nuts. This drug, when taken in certain doses, increases the serotonin level in the patient, causing extreme violence. Couple that with a post-hypnotic suggestion, like when in telethon, they, they say that keyword phrase, they've already been programmed for this. This increases, um, couple that with a post-hypnotic suggestion, or control through an electronic brain implant. Now this is a whole other subject, they've actually, they can actually, you know how we're going to be taking the microchip, and we're not, but the people are going to be taking the microchip. <laughs> They've already got these brain implants where they've actually implanted these people. In fact, I, there was a show on, um, I forget what it was called. It was a remake of a show that they did about this very, very first subject. It was about a politician who had a brain implant and it actually showed them taking this guy in. I saw a scene up on the internet where they showed this thing, where they took this, Paul. he was running for president. And they, and they took him and they, they, they bolted him into this chair they had screws into his head, and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to check your implant. And they actually did this deep syringe plunge right into his head. He already, had a, he already had a thing for it. And they extracted the implant. They actually drilled right through his skull. I mean, it was the most macabre thing you had ever saw. And the guy's just sitting there because he's in a mode where he's a, he's a robot. And you think, oh, that couldn't happen. Why is Hollywood putting it out then? Why? I mean... I look at the politicians and what they do and they have no conscience about it and you got to believe something's pulling their strings other than God. And it's not God. How could they do the things they do and have no conscience and be so good at it? Something to think about. So they say a brain implant can also do this. Um, you can get a mass murder ending in every case with the suicide of the perpetrator. They kill themselves when they're done. Every time. Oh, is that just a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. Um, exhume the bodies of the murderers and check for a brain implant. I think you're going to be surprised. In every case, the name of the murderers, doctors, or the mental treatment facility will be withheld. In other words, these are all ex-mental patients who they've done this experimentation on, and when they try to go back and say, well, who was their doctor that was treating them? Obviously, they did a really bad job. I mean, they went on mass killing spree. Oh, we can't give that. That's we, We're not going to give that because they're working for the government. Now, I know what I'm getting into today sounds like the ultimate conspiracy theory stuff, but you know something? There was a conspiracy in heaven once. 
Satan tried to get the angels to uh, go with him, and a third of them did. He convinced a third of them. He's good at what he does. Now, if there was a conspiracy of heaven, and that is where sin started. I mean, God said about Satan, he says, you know, you were beautiful until iniquity was found in you. You said, I will send on the Most High, I will be like the Most High, I will go into the sides of the north. And, and because of your beauty, you were lifted up. And because of your traffic, says that also. And we're going to talk about that in the future. His traffic and his merchandise was one of the reasons Satan fell from heaven. Now, that, I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail right now. But um, we're dealing with the same devil today as, as then. So I know a lot of this stuff sounds crazy, but this is the way it started. And he's no different. Um, I believe we'd be able to establish intelligent community connections and or connections to known CIA experimental mind control programs when we finally discover who these doctors of death really are. Due to the wave of crime sweeping the nation, the media will convince the American people that a state of anarchy exists within the major cities. They are now building their case almost nightly on TV and with the newspapers. When the public opinion has been won to this idea, they intend to state that a terrorist group armed with a nuclear weapon has entered the United States and that they will plan to detonate the device in one of our cities. This is now being set up by the crisis in the Middle East. What, what better excuse? Well, these, these Palestinians, I mean, we're supporting the Jews and these Palestinians finally uh, snuck a suitcase nuke into the, into the America and they're going to detonate it so we better give up all our guns. Or, and, you know, it, or, or a big government, big brother's not going to be able to protect us. The government will then suspend the Constitution and declare martial law. Well, that's what I talked about in my Avion Flu presentation, this same scenario. All dissidents, which translates into anyone they choose, because they can choose whoever they want, which um, will be rounded up and placed... We, we were just talking about why is it the way it is with the, with the preachers. Why aren't the preachers putting this out from the pulpit? Why, why are they... And again, I've, I've said this many times. Many times you can listen to a sermon on the radio or at a church or whatever, and sometimes, not, it's getting less and less. What they'll be saying, really, I don't have a problem with. It's just what they're not saying. It's what they're never talking about. It's what... See, I'm of the opinion that the Bible says in the very end times, you know, um, if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived, and that strong delusion would be sent that we would believe a lie, and that we need to, if there was ever a time to make sure we are operating in truth, now is the time. It's very, very important, so we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge. These preachers, the question was brought up, well, why aren't they putting this out? And Well, number one, I think that you've got very, very corrupt foundations in most of these preachers. Number one, they're doing they're in it for the money. They're a hireling. And the Bible says a hireling has no true love for the flock. And a hireling is going to scatter the flock eventually. It, the true flock. Now, the apostate flock will stay with the hireling because they make them feel good. He's, he's getting his paycheck. They're feeling good. They're getting to write it off on their taxes. They're reading out of an apostate Bible, which is further deceiving them. They're, they're part of a 501c3 corporation. says not-for-profit. I don't buy that for one minute because it is a profit-making machine. They're putting all their money into a building and into church and into programs, but they're not putting their money out to widows and orphans and to the proper method of which I believe the New Testament lays out. They're not helping really one another. Uh, 
they're, 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 it's a business. It's a business, and the CEO is the pastor, and the board of deacons are the directors. Or the, the, the deacons are the board of directors. And if you don't believe me, go look at, the, at your church bylaws, and go look at your church, your, your church incorporation papers, and it'll say it right on there. So, when you have this dynamic taking place, you've got, it's, it's so corrupt and so bad from the very, very get-go that when they're really confronted with truth because their ministry is really deep down, it's based on a lie, for the most part. I'm not saying you couldn't get saved in one of these churches, but I think it's less and less and less prevalent. I think this leaven is permeating more and more and more and more, and the more it permeates, the more, the harder it's going to be to get truth. A church that you might have been able to get 75% truth in 50 years ago, right now maybe you only get 25%. And it's going to get worse and less and less and less. That's why I believe God's calling His remnant out of these places. And he may, and again, like the Bible says, he may, he may put you in another country, he may scatter the flock. I don't know what he's going to do. That's up to God. But these preachers, they don't, they don't have any love for the flock. Uh, they don't have any love for truth. Uh, they're not like Bereans who sought these things out whether they were true or not. And they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they did this. They were searching the scripture. They're not like that. They believe they're cemetery professors. And, and if it was good enough for them, bless God, it's good enough for me. And if it's good enough for Rick Warren, it's good enough for me. And if, if, if I can implement this feel-good, uh, easy, easy-believism, prosperity doctrine, and bring it into my church and make a boatload of money and make everybody, make the masses feel good, well, if, they're, if they don't have a problem with that, my word, they're never going to get into this. This is, this is stuff that's going to drive people right out the door. They can't handle truth, neither can their congregations. Neither one of them. They don't want it. They don't want the truth. They would rather live a lie. And they would rather, honestly, they're choosing hell. I don't believe that the majority of these people in these congregations could be saved. I don't believe you could have all of this apostasy, and all of this falling away, and all of this calling evil good and good evil, which is what they're doing, I don't believe you could have all that going on under one roof and everything else that I mentioned and believe that that congregation for the most part is saved. And the ones that are saved are probably going to be saved yet so as by fire. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you think my assessment's fair? I mean, the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. Oh, well, you just think you're better. No, I don't. I've told you what I think of myself in light of God's perfection. But praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. You know? But I, I think that, you know, as good as I can answer that question, that's what I would say. Um, so, what they'll do is, is when they suspend the Constitution, they declare martial law, all the people they choose will be rounded up and placed into one-mile-square concentration camps, which, which already exist. Well, I, I gave you a whole bunch of photos of them in, that, in my Avion Flu presentation. Now, I'm not making that crap up. It's, it's in there. Are the people whom they intend to place in these concentration camps destined to make up the reported batch consignments of slave slave labor. I don't know. I mean, they probably are going to use a certain amount of them as slave labor. Um, they're going to kill a certain amount. From what I can understand, they have two lists. They have a red list and a blue list. The red list are the ones that they're, they're going to get first, like me. I guarantee you I'll probably be on the red list. And they'll kill them. They're not going to try to mess around with them. Now, they may torture, kill, and do all this other. But you know something? I still believe 
in the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying I want to be tortured or mutilated or whatever they, they would end up doing to me, but I still believe the power that, that is that lives inside me, the Holy Spirit lives inside me, is greater than anything they could ever throw at me. So, I've seen it work. See, I've seen this thing work battling demonic realms. Some of the things that I've been through in my life. So see, that's why I don't I don't really freak out about this because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to Yet ye may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. See, to me, that's more reality than any physical thing they could do to me. Now, granted, I can say this all I want and say here and act Mr. Big and Bad and, 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 and act like, but the, the, it's where the rubber meets the road is when you're actually in that position. And then we'll see. We'll see. You know, and I'm not asking God to be put in that position. I don't want to be put in that position. I don't. I mean, I would be, I'd be a liar if I said, yeah, bless God, I can't wait to be martyred. Hopefully they'll torture me real good and maybe my family right in front of me. Oh yeah, I really want that. No, I don't. Um, and I do believe God is going to preserve a certain portion of his remnant. I think the remnant right now is so few, the true remnant that's really pursuing truth, that really wants truth, no matter what it makes them look like in the world, no matter if they're hated of all men, uh, blessed are you when, you when you shall suffer persecution for my sake, for great is your reward. Well, Jesus said that. Well, somebody would say, well, you're not suffering persecution for Christ. Well, I'm suffering persecution for, not only for Christ, but for putting out truth. I love them enough to tell them the truth. Am I therefore become their enemy because I tell them the truth? Yes. That's usually the way it goes. You tell somebody the truth, like... Um, I'm that man's enemy right away, that minister, the, the, Mr. Deliverance Ministry for 20 years, and he's that deceived and deluded to write me that letter. Oh, I'm sure his ministry is real fruitful. How can he cast out devils when he's not even remotely walking in any kind of truth? Don't you think the devils would eat him for lunch? I'm just being honest. I mean, I can't imagine having a fruitful deliverance ministry if you're, if you're walking in total deception. I guess, you know, I just get, I've dealt with so much of this, and I get more adamant about it every week. Every week, I get more adamant when I see these things come across there, and um, I want to be an example. I want to be an example for the body. I want to be an example for the people in this room, for anybody listening to this, and for anybody on my email list. I want to be an example. Because we don't have to be scared of these things. Because God is on the throne. Jesus Christ is coming back with 10,000 of his saints. And we are on the winning side. Period. Period. And let's face it. God has got to have some ambassadors on this earth. Up until he comes back. He is not just going to leave this, wor this world void of anybody that will fight or contend for the faith. He is not going to do it. He's not. He's never done it. He's not going to do it now. It's just not going to happen. I believe. There, and there's a Bible verse that says that where wickedness and evil abounds, grace all the more. So the wickeder and more evil things get, God is going to use His chosen remnant, the ones that won't compromise, the ones that are going to operate in truth. I believe He's going to use them in a mightier way. He's going to get more glory if He does it that way, because God always gets more glory when He does it with a few people. Just see about. Uh, Gideon, we were just talking about how pitiful a uh, condition that this is. This all is, and it, and it's it can be depressing if you if you start dwelling on it. But 
uh, what I, one thing I always think about too is that if you have the truth and you're saved and you're operating in this level of truth and you can handle this level of truth, you're in a very, 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 very elite, privileged position. Not to get puffed up, but the fact remains is that if you go to the planet Earth and you look at everybody, I don't know how many out of 10,000 would be on a level where they could accept and embrace this level of truth that we're getting into. Maybe 1 out of 10,000, maybe, I don't know. It's probably less than that. If you're in that camp, um, the Holy Spirit's the only one that could have actually ever led you to that point. Well, and then you would have had to have humbled yourself to get to that point as well. I mean, it's, it's not just, you're not going to do it through pride. So, consider yourself, um, I, don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound this to be elitist or whatever, but the fact remains is that there's very, very few people that, that find um, the truth in heaven. And, and there's very, there, I, I believe there's even less that are, that are, some are saved, and some are saved and deceived to a certain extent, I'm sure. But if you're saved and you're actually operating in this level of truth and you can handle this level of truth, you are, you are probably about 1 in 10,000, 1 in 50,000. There's very, very few, I believe, that are actually um, operating at, at this level of truth. So, it's, a, it's really, if you think about it, it's a privilege and an honor to be in the time, day and time we're living in. That, now, the, the Bible talks about, in uh, Hebrews, the great cloud of witness, run the race that you finish, um, uh, that there's a great cloud of witness, that, that the angels have wanted to look into these things, and there's all these scriptural references about the times of the end, that, that, that we're living in a very, very extremely privileged time. It's also the time of greatest deception the world's ever known. So see, it's a double-edged sword. More people are going to hell right now, and there's more people on the planet right now, 6.5 billion approximately, than have ever existed on the earth in all time combined. So that means there's more people that potentially could go to heaven as well. Now, I'm not saying most of them are, but I'm saying the potential is there. That's why when I put out an email, I'll have a, I'll have a link even on my health newsletters, I have a link on how to get saved on all those health newsletters. Because you never know out of those five or 600 people that get that newsletter, and then there may be another 10,000 that read it up on free market news. How many make... And see, you just don't know what God can do. So see, I look at it that way. I look at it like, well, let's turn it around the other side. Yes, it's dark, and, and but we are... Of all times in humanity, you could have ever, 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 ever lived. This is the most exciting... The time that where most people could potentially get saved. The time that most people are potentially going to be deceived. And if you're not deceived, consider yourself, praise God, give God the glory, in a privileged position. Um, that's how I kind of try to look at it. Because then you don't get... Then it's like, well, yeah, that's pretty kind of cool. You know, that's kind of neat. I mean, um, we're looking into things that the angels have desired to look into, I believe, for... From the very, very beginning. We're living at the accumulation of actually when Christ comes back and sets up his throne on earth. We're looking at the, at the end. Well, I'm not going to say the end of sin because Satan is released at the end of the millennium for a small time. And he comes back and deceives people again for a short time. 
but then death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And then, then we're looking at the end time of, of sin as we know it, basically. We're right up against it right now, before the millennium starts. I mean, if we were looking at a clock, and midnight on the clock was, um, was the end of, of the uh, 6,000 years and, and, and the start of the, the 7,000 year, uh, year um, millennium, Man, we're 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 at, uh, we're basically at eleven fifty nine right now. It, it Maybe eleven fifty nine in thirty seconds. So, from that standpoint, we're in a we're in a very very privileged time. Um, that uh, I believe that there's a lot of people in heaven that are envying the position that we're in. Uh, they may not envy. Well, I don't know. In heaven, I'm sure they have a totally different perspective. Probably, even if they were martyred, they would look at that like, oh, martyrdom, what is that compared to eternity in heaven? What is, that is such a small price to pay. And really, what I would say is, is if you were discouraged about this time, because I get a lot of emails, people get discouraged in these things, I'd say, okay, look at it in light of eternity. Look at it in light of this, the moment that you're dead, you are in eternity, and your eternal fate is sealed in a good way. The moment absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so you die, and you are launched into eternity, you're with Jesus forever. That is not to be compared to any... The Bible says not, this isn't to be compared with any present suffering in this world, in the, in, the, in the things that we go through. But it's hard, because we still live in a flesh body, to think that way. So, the only way you can really get to that point is to pray God give you that. Because I can't give it to you. There's no way. I can give it to you. You have to pray God... Take this fear, any fear I would have about my future, martyrdom, or whatever, just take it away from me. And replace it with the fear of God. And, and, and put. Now, the Bible also says this, perfect love casteth out fear. So pray for God's perfect love in your life. Pray for God's perfect love, and then I need to do more of this myself. If God's perfect love, which is really where we get the word charity from in the Bible... And it says, above all, have fervent charity. And that's not taking a whole bunch of goods down to goodwill. That is a component of charity. But charity, in the King James Bible, if you go to Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is really how you define the word, charity is the highest expression of love. Charity edifieth, it doesn't puff up, it doesn't seek its own. It, 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 it's all these things embodied in love in one word. So, perfect love casteth out all fear. And um, I would pray for perfect love because any fear that you would have about the, the future events and all these other things, perfect love will cast that out. And I can't, I can't explain to you exactly how that all works, but these are things you can pray for. You can pray for perfect love. You can pray for God to take these things away from you. You can pray for God to strengthen you. You can pray for God to give you more courage. Um, there are so many things you could... Whatever you're lacking... Um, Go to the Lord, and the Bible says that if you go to your father, and you ask for a piece of bread, a loving father, he's not going to give you a stone. These are spiritual things. These aren't, these aren't things that are, that are greed, or, or, uh, or, of, of, or they, they wouldn't be things you would ask so that you could benefit from them in a monetary way or anything like this. So... I would say that would be how I would approach it. Um, and again, that's you could do a whole other study on that, which I, I probably need to do that in the future. Um, getting back to this article, because I want to try to get through this. 
Um, the media, radio, TV, newspapers, and computer networks will be nationalized and seized. Now, this is when this takeover happens. Anyone who resists will be taken or killed. This entire operation was rehearsed by the government and the military in 1984 under the code name of REX-84A. Now, REX-84 is one of the things that I talked about, I touched on briefly in my Avion Flu presentation. And it has to do with the concentration camps and the whole nine yards and the one world government and the martial law thing. And it went off without a hitch. When these events have transpired, the secret government and or alien takeover will be complete. Your freedom will never be returned, and you will live a slavery, enslave the remainder of your life. You had better wake up or you'd better do it now. Now again, remember, God's still on the throne here. Period. Silent weapons of quiet wars, which is according to William Cooper, the Illuminati's declaration of war upon the people of America, was formulated by the policy of committee of the Bilderbergers. Now, again, this was the secretive group that was formed initially to deal with the whole alien agenda to cover it up. Um, this was formulated by the policy of committee of the Bilderberg group during its first known meeting in 1954. The document, dated May 1979, was found July 7, 1986, in an IBM copier that had been purchased at a surplus sale. So, in other words, they, they've actually found a document, which is, which was the Illuminati, which are the 13 families that run the world, their declaration of war upon the people of America, which is, which is like a lot of what I talked about tonight. The fluoride and the chlorine in the water, the pesticides on the foods, all the additives, all the preservatives, the trans fatty acids, those are just the physical things. And then all the mind control, all the things that... You could go on and on and on about this stuff. So... I have recently come in possession of an affidavit that is signed and notarized and sworn under penalty of perjury from an MD in New York stating that the MD was recruited by a CIA agent named Bud Hopkins to help work with abductees for the central CIA. I knew that Hopkins was not right when I met him in Modesto. He could not look at me in the eyes, and anyone who cannot look at me in the eyes is not right. He spent the whole time... In including his speech, trying to convince people of the innocence of the abductee experience and the absence of aliens' malevolence, which was a total crock. In other words, this guy was trying to say, oh, the aliens are our buddies. They're not really bad. They're good. They're our friends. They're our space brothers. It was an insult to anyone who had investigated abductees. Note, this may tie in with the fact that many bases are jointly occupied by the Greys and the implanted controlled CIA personnel. See, the people that work in these underground bases with these alien entities, who are basically Nephilim entities, these people that work with them are usually in the CIA, Central Intelligence, and they themselves are, are micro, they're, they're implanted with these chips. See, these chips in the hand that it talks about in the Bible, right in the forehead, are, have already been done. See, if Satan's going to implement something, he's going to implement it way, way, way before that he implements it to the mass population. So they've had probably 70, 80 years to perfect and hone this technique of manipulating the minds. And that's just one way they're going to do it. You know, but, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm painting a really bad, uh, bleak, unfun, hopeless situation here. God is still on the throne. I don't care what Satan does. He can do everything in the world. God is still on the throne. This doesn't intimidate me. All, you know what? I, I read this and I say, you know something? Let it get as bad. You can do whatever you want, Satan. And I'm not challenging you to say, but I'm saying he can do whatever he wants. But the Bible says God is on his throne and he shall laugh. He will have them and he will have the heathen in derision. They want, they're going to be under total confusion. They're, 
And I'm telling you, God is going to use His remnant in a mighty way. I believe it, because there's going to be so few of them. He's going to use His remnant. Maybe they will be martyred in a horrific way. Maybe they still will be. I still think He's going to use them in a mighty way. I just believe it. He's going to have to use somebody. Now, granted, He doesn't have to absolutely necessarily, but He's always chose to work through humans on earth. Even Jesus was 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 a was man, but he was also God God the Creator. I mean God the Son, the Creator of the universe. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So even Jesus. So he's always used this. It's it's always been the same scenario and God's not going to change. He's going to use people, but see I just what what's scary to me is I look around I'm thinking, who can he use? Ezekiel got to the point. What if I can find that real quick? I think it was Ezekiel. Now I don't know. I just I look at this like a tremendous opportunity. I look at this like the ultimate opportunity to serve God. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Oh, I want to. I want to read this one. I, this is to me. This is like. This gets me fired up. Well, God, God's the only one that can do that. The Lord. No, Netta, you'll you'll do it. You'll do it. We we. He'll give us the strength in that day to overcome. We just have to have the faith that He can do it, and, and He's perfectly capable. Here it is. I love this chapter. I'm going to read this real quick. In the year that the King Uzziah died, now this is uh, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. (laughs) I get emotional when I read this, man. This just, ah. The Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each had six wings. The twain he covered his face, the twain he covered his feet, and the twain he did fly. And the one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. (laughs) Praise God. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And that was the glory of God when when you hear that. And then I said, this is Isaiah, I said... I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, and I am a man of unclean lips. Oh, can I relate to that? And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, this guy, Isaiah, is taken before the throne of God. Okay? Where the seraphim are. I mean, we've got three angelic beings in heaven that the Bible identifies. The cherubim. Now, Satan, Lucifer, was originally the anointed, the anointed cherub, the cherub that covereth. It was believed that he covered the throne of God. Because no man could look upon God the Father's glory and live. And then we have the seraphim that are around the throne of God constantly. And they have six wings. Two cover their eyes. Two cover their feet. And, and two. And all they do is go around the throne of God day and night and sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is filled with His glory. I mean, I'm not saying they can't do any other function, but that's, I think, one of the primary. And then when you get in the presence of God, perfect and holy... The closer you are to God, in this case he's right in front of you, you realize the undone situation you're in. 
And he says, woe is me, for I am, I am undone. I mean, you feel like a filthy rag in front of him. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, what is he doing? He's humbling himself. God always respects humility. It's the one thing. It's the only thing I think you could really do initially to please God. You have to humble yourself before him as a little child. Woe is me, for I am a man of, un- I am a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So what this does is, is this vision of God, it humbles, and then we're going to see it gives direction, and then we're going to see it gives us hope, and then without a vision, the people perish. The Bible says that. Without a vision, my people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. And then it transforms us if we yield our lives to conform to God's will. If we will, if we will yield to this, then it will transform us, and then, then it will ultimately bring peace to our lives. And then what happens in verse 6, it says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a coal, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Now, we're in a different dispensation now, and we're our sin and our iniquity is purged through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is before Jesus Christ came to the earth. Okay, um, then it says in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord, and said, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. That's all God wants. Just go to him and say, God, in my flesh, I can't deal with this. This is too much. This is overwhelming. I mean, this is the, the exact polar opposite of prosperity preaching. When I'm preaching, I'm preaching, this is, this is hardcore, gonna die, possibly, martyrdom, horrific death. Okay, this is worst case scenario. That doesn't matter to God. What matters is, is you going to Him and you saying, Here am I, send me. Humbling yourself initially. Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. And then being, putting yourself in a position where you just say, Here am I, send me. That's it. Because you can't do this under your own strength. I wouldn't want to try to do it under my own strength because I know I would fail <laughs> miserably. But if you have God behind you, if you have this God behind you that's on this throne, that has the seraphims around him, that created the universe, what couldn't you do? What couldn't you do? What could not he do through you? You give him the glory. That's why I always pray, God, I pray that your name be glorified through the body of Christ, through myself, and that many be saved. Because I think those are the two main priorities for God. Him getting glory and people getting saved. I think those are the two biggest things. And then he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. You want me to take a break real quick? Okay. It says, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed. Now this is the time we're living in. This is, this is, I can, I can relate to this. Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see indeed, but perceive not. That's what I do all day long. Can't you hear? But you don't understand. Can't you see? But you don't perceive. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand their heart, and convert and be healed. Well, that sounds like God doesn't even want them. Now, I don't know how you can reconcile that with, it's, the Bible says it's His will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. How do you reconcile that with this verse? Because I believe they've already crossed over the line. They've already crossed over that invisible thing where they have repented, they have habitually and repetitively sinned, repented not, loved their sin more than they loved God, made no attempt to repent. And at that point, 
It doesn't matter what you do. Why would he have them go tell this people if they're not going to hear? Well, the blood's not going to be on his hands. They're going to be without excuse when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I think that's why. I can't see any other reason at that point. So they're without excuse. And then said, I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. Now, this happened, history tends to repeat itself, but this happened to, uh, to the Jews after Jesus was crucified. Didn't Jesus come? And, 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 and he said, um, and he said things, but they understood not, and they saw him do these miracles, but they perceived not? Jesus did this. And their hearts of this people were fat and their ears were heavy and they shut their eyes lest they see it with their eyes and hear with their ears lest the light of the glorious gospel shine upon them. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses be without man and the land be utterly desolate. Isn't that what happened to Jerusalem in 70 AD? That's what happened. Jesus predicted it before he died. He says there's not going to be a stone left on one another. The Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem. So that's a type. I'm not saying... You know, we have types in the Bible. When Jesus was one type, he also said, did say this to Isaiah. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. What is the great forsaking? It's the great forsaking of God. But yet, in it shall be a tenth. And it shall return. A tenth? Huh. And it shall be a tenth. The remnant. He always preserves a remnant. He didn't destroy this remnant. But it said the cities were wasted without having the houses were without man and the land was utterly desolate. Your only hope is being part of the remnant. I'm telling you right now, as far as physically being saved, which may not happen. You may not. It may not be that way. But I'm telling you right now, if you're part of the apostate church, your only physical hope of survival would be being a part of the remnant. Now that can't be your motivation. Because if that's your motivation, then that's flawed. You know what I mean? Oh, I just want to save my own hiney, so I, I want to be part of this remnant thing. Because I don't want to die. No, that, that, that can't be your motivation. But I'm just saying that, that, that there's, there's biblical justification, and there, there's no guarantee there either. There, there's none. So anyway, that's an interesting part of the Bible. Um, so, on a lighter note... Um, <laughs> I don't think there's low, no lighter notes here. Um, here, I'll pause it first. Okay. I'm at. Yeah. I'm at. I'm at three and a half hours right now. Um, so um, let's see here. Um, okay. So I know that the major, all the major UFO research organizations were targeted for infiltration and control by the secret government. Just as NICAP was infiltrated and controlled, in fact, NICAP was eventually destroyed from within. I know this; all these efforts have been successful. Now, what does that mean? These UFO re- re- organizations, they've all been infiltrated. And the one they mention is NICAP. I forget what it stands for, but these are UFO research organizations. Now, most of them, why would the government want to in- infiltrate a UFO research organization? You ever been around these people that go to these UFO conventions? You ever seen them? Well, a lot of them are just so far off the left field. You can't even. I mean, they're they're just you know, take me to your leader. They're 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 nuts. I mean, they're they're sci-fi. They're 
they're into the whole alien thing, but they're not doing it biblically at all. They're just, they're just, they're nutsos. And if you wanted to try to cover up something, and you were the government, and the biggest thing you were trying to cover up was the UFO thing, wouldn't you try to infiltrate every organization that was formed to research the UFO phenomenon so you could discredit it? and make it seem like it's so stupid, and so outlandish, and so far off in left field, and anybody that talks about UFOs is a nutcase. That's what I'd try to do if I was the satanic government, and that's what they've done. They've infiltrated all these UFO organizations, because, I mean, you I mean these, these UFO organizations, I mean, you... I've read so many articles, and it's like... They're, they're, they're not even... The ones that try to be biblical aren't even biblically sound. It's, it's, it's pathetic. Well, that's, that's what the government does. MUFON, which is another one of these organizations, is a great example. Hundreds of members all over the world conduct investigations and send in physical evidence to MUFON headquarters, where it quickly disappears. Are you hearing this, Doug? Okay. Everyone screams for physical evidence of proof of UFOs. Isn't that the big thing? Well, there's no proof. Well, listen to this. I'll tell you why. Recently, samples were collected of a liquid that had dripped from a saucer flying saucer on a schoolyard in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Now, Gulf Breeze, Florida is a place where there's monstrous amounts of UFO sightings. Monstrous. I mean, sometimes nightly. The samples were sent to MUFON. Now, supposedly this is an independent um, UFO research organization that doesn't have a hidden agenda. They're just trying to find the truth. But all these organizations have been infiltrated by our government. The samples were sent to MUFON where they immediately vanished. This is what happens when they try to send in proof. It just vanishes. Um, Walt Andrus has stated that it was first an accident. Baloney. This is not the first time MUFON has lost evidence. I consider MUFON the great black hole of the UFO community. A black hole is something that occurs out in space when a, when a, when a star implodes on itself and it creates this vortex of blackness that sucks everything into it and it, it's never seen again, okay? That's why they say it's the black hole of the UFO. Because you send something to move on, it's going to disappear. And supposedly, this is an organization wanting to get the truth out. It's a lie. It's all lies. That's why you can't really affiliate yourself with any organization anymore. That's why I do what I do. I don't affiliate myself with anybody. Because all these organizations are corrupt. You take on the status of a corporation in this country, you're going to probably get corrupt. Um, MUFON... Uh, this is not the first time MUFON has lost evidence. I consider MUFON the great black hole of the UFO community. The control of information is so tight that nothing escapes. Anyone who tells it like it really is, is debunked and barred from symposiums. That's why I'm not invited to many places. The members are told that to believe what to believe and what not to believe. The members of the MUFON board of directors and the members of the advisory board or consultants are, for the most part, supported by the government in the form of salaries. Oh, that tells you right there. The government's... Paying their paychecks? Um, who can believe that this does not constitute a conflict of interest? Who can investigate and expose the hand that feeds them? Because the government is the one behind all this. Um, and all the major UFO publications are controlled by the CIA. How are you going to get any good information from that? You must understand that the government is not ever going to allow any person or group or persons to uncover the most highly classified secret in the world if they can help it. They will always have agents controlling UFO groups, publications, and information. And if you try to find anything about these groups, you're going to be accused of being a nutcase if you're going to put out truth. 
Um, as one can see, the one, one of the major ways in which the alien CIA controllers silence the opposition is to bring division and discord among the researchers who are investigating the UFO phenomena. Isn't that the way Satan always does it? He will bring division and discord. Oh, well, somebody could accuse me of being, being that. Well, you, you, you bring division among the brethren, Brother Johnson, because of your radical stances. Well, Jesus said, I came not to bring a peace, but sword. A sword is something that divides. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I mean, a sword is always compared to the Word of God. And the Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to the dividing of asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, the Word of God is compared to the sword of the Spirit. Now, the Bible also says, is not my word... This is Jeremiah 29, 26. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. When the word of God dwells within you, what's going to happen is, is it's going to come out, and it's going to act as a fire, and it's going to act as a hammer, and it's going to act as a sword. And that is never popular. That is never... No, nobody ever, like, does that and, and, and feels good about themselves afterward. Typically, it's something that you will... Um, you're not going to make any friends with. But, as a Christian, your life's not a popularity contest. So, um, I guess we're at... What time is it right now? 10.27. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and finish this portion out. And then we can watch this video too. This, this thing. I think we'll, it'll be pretty good timing here. So, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this night. I pray, Lord God, for any and all hearing this, uh, this audio recording, for the people in this room, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the body of Christ, Lord, I do pray, God, for your fear to be upon us. I pray to God for your humility, godly humility, Lord God, that you would account us worthy, Lord God, to escape all that is coming on this world. Because you say in that, pray to be accounted yourself worthy, to, be, to escape all the things that are coming upon this world. Lord, um... I don't know what your fate is for the people in this room, for the people listening to this tape, for the body of Christ, but you do, and I believe, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, in that time, your grace will be sufficient. And that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. And I do believe that you're going to use us as, as evil abounds. I believe the, the, uh, the strength and the tenacity that you're going to put in, your, in the body of Christ is going to also abound even greater. Because you're still on the throne. And I do believe good... And I know good will, will conquer and overcome evil. And I know that light always exposes darkness. Pray to God that, your dark, that the darkness be exposed by the light, God. And I pray, God, that many would be saved as a result of this information. In the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray if, if I have to be martyred for this information, in the name of Jesus Christ, that, I'm, that, I, that it's done in a glorious way that, where your name is glorified and that many would be saved. I really do, Lord. I, I pray, God, that, that that would be the case. Now, I'm not asking for martyrdom, God, but I'm saying if that is the case, then use me to strengthen um, the faith of others. Use me as an example for that. And I just pray that um, we go forth, God, and in spirit and in truth, I pray you would forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed in any way, shape, or form, God, that there would be nothing that would separate us from you, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, and that they would not have dominion over us. I pray your angels would encamp around about us, around about the body of Christ, God, that, your, that the blood of Jesus Christ would be upon us, 
in our lives, that your fear would be upon us in the name of Jesus Christ, and that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, would be in our mouths, and go forth with might, and that, Lord God, that great fear and trembling would fall upon the unsaved that are around us, and that they would give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would save our unsaved family members, Father God. For it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.